Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today we are recording on August 12th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, which is true because I just posted a Prey Moon Crash review on GameCritics recently, so I'm reinstated as an actual writer on GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway, who has to put up with me putting off writing reviews for Game Critics for weeks at a time until I actually write them, and then edits them and puts them up for me. So thank you, Brad. How are you? I am doing good. And you were never actually removed from the staff, so there was no reinstatement <laughs> necessary. You were, just, you were just around. You were always still part of the crew. It's all good, and I'm glad to be here. Good, good. I find that now that we do the podcast every week, because we literally do it every week, that I am able to vent my discussions about games on the show, which makes me less, this is gonna, might sound terrible, but makes me less interested or less um, feel less inclined to take the time to write about them, because I know we just talk about the games instead on the show. And I still feel like it's value added to write about games that, um, that I play, especially, I mean, obviously if I get a review copy that is for review, I'm obviously going to write something about it because those, those are the rules. Um, but now that we do the show every week, I like just talking about the games and then I don't have to write something. But the bad thing is that whenever we write reviews for game critics, those go to Metacritic and we, our score gets factored into the Metacritic scores, obviously talking about the games on the podcast. Cause we don't say like, Oh, we're going to talk about the game. And now I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Like we, we just talk about the games. Um, the games we talk about do not go on Metacritic. So we actually have to write something to get our reviews, like in some kind of database for Metacritic, but I'd like just talking about them cause it's easier. And I feel like it's less work, dare I say, Oh, 100%. I mean, I think it's way easier just to have a quick convo uh, and make a few jokes and then be done <laughs> rather than like having to. And often we don't even really play through all the stuff we talk about in the show either, which will be very evident today as we get to it. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, talking about something for five minutes is a whole different thing than actually sitting down and playing something through and writing about it and editing and then publishing it. And it's funny you say that, too, because, um, you know, like editing stuff at Game Critics takes up a lot of time. And so I usually end up having to go, am I going to play something tonight or am I going to edit tonight? And it's very rare that I get to do both of those things in the same night because I just don't have that much time. So I used to be like the number one content producer at the site. Like I, for a long time, for several years, was writing more reviews than anybody. Uh, but that is 1000% not the case these days. <laughs> Most of my time is editing. So, I mean, don't feel bad about writing less or anything because i mean you're doing the show so like if you weren't doing the show maybe you know you would have more time to write reviews and if i wasn't editing i would totally have more time to write reviews but you know i mean life happens we both have lives outside we've got partners we've got things to do we've got jobs and you know there's only so many hours in the day man i mean if, if it we want to do a show if we want to post reviews then that just means it's less time available for us to actually play and to to do other things and i was actually just thinking about this the other day because i was like god i was trying to remember what the last review i wrote i mean uh, I used to average about at least one review a week, which is totally not the case now. I think I'm probably doing like maybe one a month, maybe, maybe <laughs> not even. So uh, it's got to be something that I really spend a lot of time with. Um, I probably will do a review for Mario versus Rabbids on Switch, which ironically, I'm not going to be talking about on the show today. I'm still playing it. But I think the last thing I played was or last thing I reviewed was probably, 
Hollow Knight, which was a couple shows ago. So it feels kind of weird sometimes, like I should be writing more, but man, I'm busy enough, and I, I suspect you're probably busy as well. Yeah, and like that, I was thinking about what you were talking about, making the decision between editing and between writing. Um, I have that a lot now because like I talk about on every fucking show ever that uh, how much photography I do because editing photos takes up a lot of my time and that's not even like a job. I mean, I guess the podcast isn't a job either. It's just really um, advanced hobbies, if you will, that I have. And I often find myself sitting because I sit at the computer at home a lot editing photos and I will often think to myself like, man, I need to take a break from editing photos to go play a video game so that way I can have stuff to talk about on the show. So like my time is divided up between uh, like taking and, and sorting and editing photos versus playing games. But, you know, playing games is something for the show. I rarely play games for pleasure. I mean, I get that sounds terrible because I genuinely probably enjoy a lot of the games I play, but um, it's rare now that I play something just to play it and not to talk about it. Although I did miraculously a couple weeks ago, find time to play through all of Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Again oh dear. To play because oh I played it on PC because I've had it on PC for a while. And um, I didn't talk about it on the show because I think I've already talked about that game approximately like 152 times on the show already. But I did play through all of it on PC. Um, so I can't pretend like I'm, you know, not... Like, I don't have any free time because I do, obviously. That game's, like, 30 hours long, and I played all of it on PC a few weeks ago. But, um, I mean, most of the stuff I play, it's either, like, am I editing photos or am I playing video games? And the video games I play are, more often than not, for discussion on the show. Yeah, that is a thing that is real. Um, <laughs> and we are going to be living that pretty hardcore on this particular episode, <laughs> as will be made evident very briefly. Um so, yes, yes, yes. Should we launch right into it, or we got any more housekeeping to do? Um, we can <clears throat> launch into it. I just want to give a small disclaimer that um, this, this week, I think Brad's kind of doing the same thing. Um, this is something that Brad does often, something that I don't really, I haven't really done much on the show. Um, but I will be pulling a little bit of a page from Brad's So Video Games Playbook this week, because sometimes, as you'll find it on the show as well, he plays about 50 games a week, spends maybe 30 minutes to an hour with them, and then runs through all of them and talks about what he likes, what he doesn't like, and that's it. Um, I'm kind of doing the same thing this week, uh, except for somehow I ended up revisiting a bunch of old games in the past couple weeks uh, between going to Atlanta uh, and coming here and coming back home and playing. In Atlanta, I talk about that in banter, so if you're interested in Atlanta trip stories, uh, that'll come later, but... I ended up kind of oddly playing some old games and revisiting them briefly, so I'm going to kind of run through those as we go. Brad will have a chunk of games to talk about. I'll have a few games. Brad will have a chunk. I'll have a few, but nothing that I've played is, like, shiny or new. It's all just odd revisits that I can't even really justify, but we'll we'll talk about <clears throat> that when we get there. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, shall we get into it? Sure. What do you want to talk about first? Uh, well, like you just said, uh, okay, so putting things in perspective, uh, so we actually haven't recorded for two weeks, which is a pretty long window for us, and in that time, I had a bunch of games, some that I was just checking out for fun, a couple of these are ones that I was just interested to see if that was going to be my next thing to play personally, but some of it also was stuff that uh, people have sent to me to talk about on the podcast, and I'm like, okay, well, if I can work some, some work them in, if I can find some time, etc., etc., so we're going to get a lot of those today. 
and you're gonna you're gonna be able to tell really quickly which ones I actually liked and which ones I'm doing for the show. So let's just get into it. Um, the first one I want to talk about is No Man's Sky Next. This was the big update that Hello Games put out. I want to say maybe two weeks ago. Um, did you ever play No Man's Sky, Corey? I did. We talked about it a couple times on the show, but I mean, that game's been out for a long time now, which is weird because I feel like it, on one hand, I feel like it just came out. And on the other hand, I feel like it came out like 15 years ago. But um, we've talked about it a couple times. I could never really get into it. I tried it whenever it came out because Patrick had pre-ordered it and I wasn't really interested. I played it for like an hour, couldn't really get into it. Then they released the first big update to it that added, like, the base building and it added, like, a new game mode or something. And I tried it again and we talked about it. I still couldn't really get into it. But this update is, like, massive. It's, like, a almost a complete retooling of everything in the game. And, I mean, applause to Hello Games and to Sean Murray for really keeping their heads down and working hard on this game because they've been given an opportunity that not a lot of indie devs have out there. I mean, the game had so much hype and it sold so well that they were able to really like use that time and money to completely retool everything about the game. Whereas most times an indie game comes out, uh, they promise a lot, it doesn't deliver, and then the freaking company goes under in six months. But uh, Hello Games is in a very, I, I guess, a good position and they've really kind of turned the game around. Patrick's been playing it a lot. I've been watching him play it a little bit since the update. I have not jumped back in since the update but what uh how did it fall for you um well before i before we get into it i do want to echo what you said i mean i want to give these guys props i know that they really went into like a dark place after the game originally launched because a lot of people felt like they were making a lot of promises that were just not true about the game a lot of people were very disappointed um so that kind of blew up in their face a little bit and that's probably a good um lesson object lesson for indies launching um you know don't promise too much i know that probably sony got them on board the hype train and, and maybe pushed them a little too much um but regardless regardless i do um agree that you know they need to be praised for keeping on working on the game and i think it is definitely a very rare situation uh i don't know what their financials look like i don't know if they're doing this because they feel like they need to or if they just have enough money to be able to do it or what but yeah, I mean, the kind of work that they've been putting in post-launch is, I mean, I don't know if it's unprecedented, but pretty amazing, uh, especially for a, a team of that size and a game of that size. So what they did, so, so No Man's Sky originally was first person, I mean, I don't know if it's roguelike, not really roguelike, but procedurally generated, land on some planets, get some materials, build some stuff, keep flying to another planet. And I think originally the 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 main goal was either just to screw around or to get to like the center of the universe and there was supposed to be some kind of story something something or other and a lot of people just were really disappointed in it the procedural stuff was really bad um a lot of really embarrassing goofy looking animals and just a lot of the same stuff to do like there just didn't feel like a lot to the game like it seemed like it should have been like a a $20 indie rather than some kind of $60 Jesus is coming back sort of a thing that it <laughs> ended up being and I like the concept of it. Like, I like space games. I like exploring. I like the idea of building my ship and flying around. I mean, those things appeal to me. But I bounced off the original game really hard. I just did not like it. I I thought they made a lot of fucked up mistakes and a lot of weird choices. And it just not much about the game really clicked with me. Uh, so now we have the next update, which is genuinely really huge. They've added a lot of stuff. I mean, I don't even know the exact scope of everything they've added. But, I mean, clearly they've added a third-person mode, which to me was huge. I know that some people 
prefer first person, that's fine. But I think it has to be said that seeing this game in third person really does give it a different feel. Like, it feels different. It looks different. The tone of play is different. Um, they've revamped the animals. The animals all look, like, much more reasonable and less goofy. And they've added a bunch of uh, content, like like quests and story stuff to do. I mean, I mean, overall, it's a really huge update. I don't want to downplay that at all. I mean, I think it's a very improved game over what it was when it originally launched. That said, um, I still don't like it. I just don't think this is a good game. I just really don't. <laughs> I, I think that they just from the get-go kind of had a couple of really weird ideas in mind. And I, I know that some people on my Twitter feed like love this game. But I think those are the kind of people who just love to like grind or who can really find value in those kind of samey, you know, like you just get Brad, into kind just, of a groove. Just say it. Say it's a fuck-around game. It is kind of a fuck-around <laughs> game. It is kind of a fuck-around game. Um, where you're just, you know, you're mining materials and you fly, you mine some more materials and you take a picture of something on the planet and then you take another picture and you kind of, you're like, nothing's really happening though. And I, I, it's like, I really want to like this game. I want to find an end to this game and I just can't like the first, I want to say, okay. So to be fair, the first six hours, they totally improved the tutorial. They totally improved the first couple of hours. I was actually pretty into it for like the first five or six hours. The pace of it is much better. The tutorials are way clearer. They give you a much better idea of what's going on. They explain the systems a lot better. It's not perfect. It's it's far from perfect, but it's much better. So that was that was pretty cool. And then once I got past the tutorial and the game opens up and I'm like, oh, well, what now? Nothing. I just I'm flying around and I just mine some stuff and I just uh, I just like all the air kind of just went out of it and it just like deflated like a big balloon because <laughs> I don't find a lot of value in just crafting stuff and i think that if they dialed back on the crafting this game it would be a much better experience because i was constantly like having to like mine more materials and to build more stuff and i'm like oh my god like i just i don't want to like okay here's a perfect example perfect example this game is about exploration and so when you land on a planet you have there's two different engines you have your like space your space engine and you have your on the planet engine so you have to, like, find resources to fuel both of these. Okay, no problem. I get it. You got to gas up. That's fine. That's acceptable. But when you're on the planet, you gas up your, your planetary engine. It takes a little while to find the fucking shit. You get the shit. You bring it back. You put it in the gas tank. You can only take off four times. After you take off four times, your tank is empty and you have to find more stuff. That may not seem like a big deal, but when you see how many things are on the planet and, like, how often you want to explore. Oh, hey, look. There's a weird thing over there. My radar tells me there's an abandoned base. I want to go check that out. Okay, well, I got to take off and get there. Hey, look, there's an animal over there. I want to go track that down. Oh, got to take off. Got to take that thing. You end up fucking, like, spending half your goddamn time on a planet gassing up your fucking vehicle. And there is no <laughs> point to it. There is no value add. It is not a fun experience. You're not learning anything. You're not getting better. It's not anything that adds anything to the game except time. Time to, like, go get more fucking gas. Like... Imagine if you had to gas up your car like six times a day, like you would just be pissed off and wouldn't want to go anywhere all the time. And in a game about exploration, limiting that and like tying people to like refueling the vehicle constantly, huge mistake, huge mistake. Let me gas up once per planet. That would be amazing. I'd be flying all over the place. I could go up and go down and just go wherever I wanted, really see, immerse myself into the exploration. That would be cool. Instead, I really learned to hate exploration and I would see stuff in the distance. I would just decide to not go for it because I didn't want to hassle with filling up my fucking plane again. And then when you get to space, it's just like, it's just lack of direction and lack of interesting things, lack of story. I really wish they had a stronger narrative element. 
And I mean, I know a lot of people love it and that's cool. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't love this, but for me, too much crafting, too much undirected play, not enough of a central storyline. And I just, I just, the procedural stuff, it's just no good. It's just no good. You're doing the same thing on every planet. The plants look different, but it's the same thing over and over and over. I honestly think they would have been better off crafting maybe 20, you know, intentional planets with like specific things to find. And maybe they could have randomized a little bit of it, but like, I would rather have a curated experience where they really had an, something out there for me to do with a purpose rather than, Hey, we've got this algorithm that just makes planets all day fucking long. Go ahead and just do those over and over and over and over and over. So I, I mean, kudos to those guys. It's definitely a better experience, much better game. Amazing that they've been at it. And I want to compliment them for that much respect. But honestly, I just don't think this is a very good game. I just don't think they need to just scrap the whole thing and start over. Oh and, my God. I mean, just move on to something else. I just, I, core ideas are great. This, this game is just not happening. So if you didn't <laughs> like it before, you're not going to like it now. And if you did like it before, you're still going to like it. So that's, that's basically where I fall down on that. Mm. Yeah. I haven't played it since this update, but, um, uh, like I said, Patrick has been, I haven't really liked, he's out of town right now, so I can't like pull him aside and be like, Oh, what do you think about it? Um, he seems to be enjoying it, but he also stopped playing it after like a week. So I don't know. I don't, I haven't actually like asked him like, oh, tell me what's good, what's bad. Let's talk about this. Um, but he seemed to be into it, but only for like a week. But keep in mind that Patrick is the kind of gamer who has played basically 95% of his game time has been Overwatch for the past like two years. He's just one of those guys who comes home from work and plays overwatch and that's it so he's not like a like a narrative game experience kind of person uh i guess so yeah i don't know i'll have to ask him and check back in yeah i mean if you're the kind of person who likes just farming and mining and you don't really want to do anything and you want to just spend some time just out of reality then this was probably the game for you but not not the game for me but uh anyway moving on um couple of quick hits on some stuff that I also played mostly for the show. Mother Gunship came out, uh, which is the spiritual sequel to Tower of Guns. Did you ever play Tower of Guns? No. It was a first-person indie game where you were in a tower full of guns. <laughs> you just run around, and it's like it's pretty bullet helly. Where like you'd go into a room, there'd be like a bunch of little gun turrets, and you got to dodge bullets and jump around. I mean, very kind of like action arcadey not much of a story element it was just about like you know a lot of shooting a lot of dodging uh mother gunship comes out basically it's the exact same thing i know people were telling me it was really improved and if you you know give this one a shot and i'm like i played it and i'm like this is literally the same thing like it looks the <laughs> same low polygon really bright colors some kind of like forgettable story attached to it you're running around dodging bullets in a very bullet hell like environment and this time around you can craft your gun so you can find pieces to build a gun and i was just like i was like oh god i just i nah no no <laughs> there's just nothing in it that really appealed to me didn't like the story i need a little bit more character in my games um i need a little bit more focus and i just don't care for the first person bullet hell action so mother gunship is a thing that exists um if you liked tower of guns this is your jam and otherwise, that's all I have to say about it. I did. I literally spent like maybe 20 minutes with it and I'm like, I'm done. So did not want any more of that. 
Pool Panic came out from Adult Swim Games. I'm actually a pretty big fan of Adult Swim Games. I don't like all of their games, but I think they've got a pretty cool eye for releases, and I like their vibe. Like, I like what they're doing. Even if I don't like all their games, I like what they're doing. They're, in the, they're going in the right direction for me. So they just put out Pool Panic. Have you heard anything about Pool Panic? I have not. Okay, so what this is, pool in the sense of, like, billiards. Uh, so you play a living cue ball with two feet attached to it and a weird <laughs> face and you go it's hard to describe like it's a very bizarre abstract game you go into a level and at first it's just like there are other living pool balls on a table and you have to like you know shoot yourself into those balls and knock them into the pockets as you know like like pool people like you would like you would expect billiards pool but it soon gets complicated because there's like a whole like world full of many, many different levels. And it soon goes from being on top of a pool table to like you're in a campground and there's trees and you got to like shoot the ball around the trees. And then you're in a haunted house and then you're in like a grocery store and you're in all these different places, these different environments. And then the balls have different characteristics to them. Some balls can only be hit from like behind. So you cannot knock them from the front. Some are scared and they will run away when they see you coming. So they, they're constantly moving around the table. Some will attack you. So it very quickly becomes not even remotely about pool at all, apart from that you're still a cue ball. And so you just kind of go through the game and play. And it's kind of like an action game, kind of not really sort of like a pool game. And it, it's just really bizarre, really bizarre. Um, I kind of liked it at first, but it very quickly got annoying because I felt like I was doing the same thing over and over. And although there's a lot of variety in the levels, it's not enough variety for me. And it just, I, I, I almost kind of wished it was a little bit more like a regular pool game because then you would have specific rules and you would kind of know what to do. But it kind of just devolved into running around a table or a table-like environment and just trying to chase these guys and knock them in a hole. It's just, <laughs> it, it's goofy and it's weird. If you like weird games, it's really weird, but it wasn't weird in the right way for me. And I just, the action just wasn't good enough to keep my attention. I kind of noped out of it after a while. So, um, yeah. And if you have any comments on any of these, feel free to jump in. I'm going to just kind of roll along here. But if you have you have something to say, please feel free to jump I, in. Uh, I do have two things to say about yeah, this yeah, game. Yeah. Um, the first two things that came to mind, one is whenever you said, uh, uh, as you play like a pool ball with legs, I, the first thing I thought was, I was like, oh, is this going to be like Candleman, like a candlestick with legs? And obviously not at all like Candleman. I was hoping for the best when you went into that game, but not quite. The other thing I was thinking about, which is totally unrelated, is there's a um, a gay bar in the French Quarter called Corner Pocket, which is a um, it's like a kind of a small, grimy gay bar downtown. And it's just like a bar and a pool table in the back. But it has like dancers, like dudes that dance on the bar. But it's not like flashing lights and rainbows and Britney Spears music videos playing. It's just like a smoky bar with a pool table and gay dudes dancing with knee pads on on the bar. And I was thinking about that while you were talking about the pool table because the bar is called Corner Pocket. <laughs> with knee pads, huh? Yeah, you know, so they can get on all fours on the bar and not, like, mess their knees up. You know you know how it goes, Brad. You know these things. I'm, I'm sure that's an OSHA regulation, so <laughs> kudos to Corner Pocket for taking the safety of their workers into account. That's that's a good thing to do. You want to protect your workers at all. You know, it's hard to make a buck. You don't want to ruin your knees. I, I respect that. Uh, moving on, I have two more for this section here. The next one is called 1979 Revolution Black Friday. 
Is uh, this about shopping on Black Friday? Please tell me that's what this is about. About getting <laughs> trampled whenever you walk into a Target when they open the doors. I, you know, I. It would be cool if that was what this was about, uh, but it's not. Uh, uh, okay, damn so. It. Okay, so first off, I want to say, like, like no disrespect. I don't want to make light of this at all. But this is actually kind of like a game based on real-world events. Okay, and I'm going to be just, like, full disclosure. Okay, full disclosure. I grew up in America. American education system is shit. I, we don't know much about the outside world because that's what Americans do. So, okay, so this is about, I guess, a 1979 revolution in Iran... I didn't even know that was a thing. I had never heard of it. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know who the the two sides were, what who was, you know, having a revolution against who. I didn't know anything about this. Full disclosure, and I mean, I guess some people knew about it because when I started talking about it on Twitter, people were like, "Oh yeah, it's the Iran revolution." And I'm like, "Okay. I sorry. <laughs> I mean, I did you did you know about the 1979 Iran revolution?" No. Okay, your fellow American didn't know. Um so I, I had no context for this game, but apparently it is a very well-researched, based on historical fact, based on real-world events. Uh, so it's kind of like a telltale game where you walk around and you have narrative and choices, and, but it's all, you know, based in Iran. And these people are, well, something's going on. And I just like, I, I don't mean to make light of it, but like, honestly, I had no idea what any of this was about. And the game doesn't really start you off with a lot of, backstory and so you begin you're like this prisoner and this guy's interrogating you and i'm like well who am i like what what is my deal i mean of course you have the the initial i am the player and i am a prisoner therefore i must automatically hate the guy who is talking to me but he's like he wanted me to like to denounce some stuff or to admit some stuff i'm like what's going on i don't who am i what what am i am i the bad guy is he the bad guy? Like, wh- I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing or what my motivation in the scene is. And I just, I, c- I had no idea. I mean, maybe it's a great game. Maybe it's not. But I literally had no context for what was going on. And the game didn't explain it to me. And I lost interest, like, really quick. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I mean, I'm sure it's it's wonderful. I've heard a lot of people really praise it. But for me, having no idea and to have no connection to this material and then to have no good basis. I mean, if the game had started out like, oh, hey, I'm Joe Blow Iranian dude and I'm on the street and I'm living my life and then these guys are cracking down, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, I can, I get what's going on here. I, I can figure that out. But it just didn't start off on the right foot. And without knowing anything about it, I didn't understand what I was supposed to be doing or why I was even playing it. So I, I kind of quit and I just didn't, was not able to generate enough interest to see it through, unfortunately. Mm, I don't have any input for this. Okay. Well, I'm, you know, I, again, I don't mean to make light of it. I know that a lot of people really like it. And if, if this is your thing, go for it. But I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get, get into it. So sorry about that folks. Uh, just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know anything about the Iran revolution. Uh, next last one for this segment, train sim world. Um, this is, as you might expect a train simulator, (laughs) You and like like that's pretty much what it is. Like they start you off. Tutorials are garbage, by the way. If you're gonna do okay, so look, I've never driven a train in real life. You cannot expect me as a person playing your game to walk into an actual simulation of a train cab and know what all the buttons are. There's a million buttons in there. I got no fucking idea what any of them do. I don't know what the proper procedure for starting a train is. I don't know how to drive a train. And it is not just a fucking steering wheel and a gas pedal up there, let me tell you. <laughs> so I'm just like, 
you guys need to motherfucking fix your tutorials because I, I felt the tutorials were extremely lacking. Um, but me and my son, we started playing it. We got into it. He's a big train fan. So he thought it was pretty cool. And if you like trains, I mean, it is pretty cool. A bunch of different real-life trains. There's a bunch of real-life tracks. They have you simulate, you know, picking up passengers and making your, you know, your stops along the way. And sometimes you got cargo and whatever. I mean, cool. It's it's cool as a simulation. But, oh, my God. Like, I, we, we were very often like, what do we got to do? I don't know. What's next? I don't know. Like, we, we were in the train. And it's like the next step in the tutorial is like, open the passenger doors. Okay. Well, I'm a passenger train. I, I expect that I would open the door. Doesn't tell you how. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, what are we doing? How do you open the fucking doors? We're pushing every button inside the cab. Couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. Go in the back when the engine rooms are button back here. I don't think there would be a button back here, but maybe it's back here. Not back here. Go back to the cab. Is it over here? Is it this button? No, this button. No, this button. No, this switch. No. How do you open the motherfucking doors? And I'm like, wait a minute. How about if we just get out of the train and walk to the fucking door and open the door? And that's exactly what it was. You had to get out of the cab. You had to walk to the actual train compartment. You had to actually push a button to open the door physically. I'm like, why would there not be a button inside? The The conductor literally gets out of the train and opens the door by himself. I mean, maybe <laughs> if you ride trains all the time, maybe you would know that. I don't know that. I'd, I've never <laughs> ridden a train like this. you got to tell me these things. We spent like 45 minutes trying to figure out how to open the goddamn doors. So the tutorials are bullshit. Um, tutorials are awful in this game. They're garbage. But if you want just a really good simulation, and if you know about trains, if you are literally a conductor who is retired and wishes to relive your glory days, like this is maybe the good game for you. Or if you are a train nerd and you know everything about trains and you've got diagrams of cabs on your wall and you can name the model of a train on eyesight, Good for you. This is your game. This is a great game. But if you're someone like me who doesn't know fuck all about trains, they don't really seem interested in teaching you anything about them, which is a real fucking problem. <laughs> and interestingly, I find that to be very common with these sim games. Like, I've played a number of different sims. Uh, the other one that really leaps to mind is Farming Simulator, uh, where I am not a farmer, don't know about farming. And they don't... The tutorials are garbage. They just do not tell you what to do. They don't walk you through it enough. So I don't know what the deal is with these sim games. If they just expect everybody is a, is already a pro at these, um, but for people who are not pros, very unapproachable. But other than that, pretty cool simulation. Lots of detail, obviously. Lots of information. Lots of stuff in here for train fans. If you are a train guy, you probably already own this. But if you don't, check it out. <laughs> uh, so those are my first batch of games. Corey, any questions, or shall we move on? Uh, I think we can move on. Let's move on. And I have to say, I looked ahead of the script a little bit, and my mind was blown by what you have you, on tap. I told oh you my I had some curveballs. I could not believe my eyes. Please, sir, tell us what are you going to talk about this week? Okay, so let me set this up for you so it'll make a little more sense. Um, I we, talk, we already talked about in banter, but if you're listening to the show, you haven't heard it yet. I was in Atlanta a couple weekends ago with my parkour friends to do uh, parkour jams and photography and that kind of stuff there. Well, one of my uh, parkour friends, Ian is very good. I mean, perhaps prolific, um, though not publicized, at Guitar Hero. He is very, very uh, superior at Guitar Hero. He has 
the there's a PC kind of mod game called Clone Hero for the PC, and you can hook like your Guitar Hero guitar up to it and play it on PC. So it's not like Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero, but he's also really good at actual Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero, obviously, because they're like kind of the same game. So we went to Atlanta. The people who we stayed with have a Wii there. I mean, they have like an Xbox One and a 360 and a Wii, but they had guitars for the Wii. So part of our Atlanta adventures involved going to two different GameStops and two different Goodwills in the area to look for as many Guitar Hero games as we could find for Wii and buy them and take them back to the house so that we could play Guitar Hero. And we ended up getting Guitar Hero. I think we got three and World Tour, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm not super in tune with Guitar Hero games. So they played Guitar Hero. Like, basically, all we did was go out during the day, do parkour, eat, come home, and they played Guitar Hero all night. And I did not play very much Guitar Hero because I literally have not played a Guitar Hero game since probably 2008 around when rock band came out. Cause I played a lot of rock band whenever the first one came out in college. Um, but I've never been a, a good guitar guy. I've always, uh, cause I play drums. Like I can actually play the drums. So I'm kind of a drummer and uh, guitar hero and in, or like guitar hero games that support drums. And I can also sing. So like, that was what I always did. I'm very novice at the guitar, but I try and they and my friend, my parkour friends play everything on expert. Like they brought Guitar Hero 3 home, they put it on expert, they beat the entire game, the career mode of the game, in like three hours on expert and only failed a oh song God. maybe like three times. Like I'm not kidding when I say that they're like exception and like all like three of them, like Brandon, Ian, and Levi. Ian's the best, but I mean Levi and Brandon were holding their own all on expert mode. Like, Guitar Hero, like, 90% notes hit and up on almost every song. I think Levi failed a song, like, twice. I think Brandon might have failed one, like, once. But, yeah, expert career mode all the way. And so a lot of Guitar Hero uh, songs I'm not super familiar with because it's a lot of classic rock, and I didn't listen to classic rock growing up. I always listened to what was current as I was growing up. And... Um, so I kind of, like, missed the boat on, you know, like, ACDC and, like, Leonard Skinner and, like, old kind of classic rock bands. And so eventually, like, a song would come up every once in a while that I was more aware of. And the only song I think in, I don't remember if it was in 3 or World Tour that came up was um, was uh, Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, like, I know this song. I've heard it, you know, I don't know, dozens of times. I know the melodies. I know everything. So Levi was like, hey, do you want to play this? And I was like, sure, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll throw my hat in the ring. I'll try um, Seven Nation Army, which is not a complicated song on expert mode. I got, I think, I failed it like four times in a row, about 10% into the song every time <laughs> because I'm so bad at Guitar Hero. And I put it, I ended up turning the difficulty down to, um, I think I turned it down to hard from Expert and I was able to finish the song in hard, which is like kind of like a feat for me. But I still, I think my note success rate was probably like, I don't know, like 70% or something like it wasn't super high. So uh, that's the first game I want to talk about is the fact that I'm terrible at Guitar Hero and that um, I'm not very good at it. But what it got me thinking about while we were there was DJ Hero. Do you remember DJ Hero, Brad? I remember it, but I actually have never played it. I know what it is. I know some people really love it. And I've seen it. I just have never played it. Well, I, I stand by the opinion that DJ Hero was ahead of its time. And I think that if it had come out 
like maybe like three years later, five years later, maybe it would have been a lot more successful because DJ Hero came out kind of like right before sort of like electronic music and EDM started getting really popular and like mainstream like radio stations and and stuff like that. Like it was like right on the cusp of it. So it was a little bit ahead of its time. And back in the day, whenever it came out, it was probably like 2009 or so whenever it came out, I want to say, the first one, because there are two of them. Um, it, it's, it's called DJ Hero. Instead of having a guitar or a drum thing, if, this is for people who haven't heard of it or who haven't played it, it, ha- it has a turntable control peripheral where, um, like for me, because I'm right-handed, the left hand is on what's called a, a fader, um, which is on like a... I don't know, like a DJ, like the big thing that like everybody turns the knobs on whenever they're playing like DJ music um, or DJing at a party. Um, the fader or the cross fader, um, you can move it back. Le- it can be the center. You can move it left and or right and bring it back to the center. You have like the platter on the right, which is like the record. And there's three buttons on it. There's a red, um, a green and, an, and a blue button. And you listen to the songs, and it's it's just like Guitar Hero. Like, the notes come down the track, and you have, like, you have to tap the buttons on some of them on the platter. You have to, like, hold the buttons for some of it. You have to do, like, the wiki-wiki, like, you know, move the record back and forth for some of it. Sometimes while holding buttons on there, you have to move the crossfader left and right, depending on what the music track does, because sometimes it'll, like, because, like, every DJ Hero song is, like, a mashup between two songs, and sometimes, like... When one song has the majority that's coming through the speakers, you have to like move the crossfader toward that song. And then if the other song takes over, you have to move it back to the other song or like bring it in the middle. It's it sounds complicated, but much like Guitar Hero, it's kind of easy to get the hang of once you actually start playing it. And I loved DJ Hero back in the day. I thought it was incredible. I th- I still think that it's ahead of its time. I'm sad, or at the time it was, I'm sad that they only had two games because I feel like they really could have built on it because Guitar Hero ended up becoming a thing where it was like every year there was a new Guitar Hero game, a new like special edition controller, and you know a new set list and everything like that. But this was also kind of before DLC became really big because I know with Rock Band at a certain point, um, maybe it was like Rock Band 2 or 3, I can't remember how many there are, came out. And then eventually instead of re- releasing a new game and like uh like an instrument pack they just put all the songs on dlc so you could have your instrument pack you could buy the game and then you could just download songs uh on the internet or on like the the rock band store but dj hero i think is i still stand by it being great i think it was ahead of its time i think it's really fun it has really good music on it because it has a lot more music that i'm into um instead of it being like classic rock or like indie rock like guitar hero it's more like uh, you know, like Daft Punk, and I don't. It's just got a lot of really weird mashups. Like I like the Gorillas, and No Doubt, and like Lady Gaga is on DJ Hero Two a lot, and like Kanye West, and it's just like a lot more current music than classic rock. So I think that's part of the reason why I like it too, because a lot of the music was current, and it was stuff I grew up with, um, and it was really sort of like forward thinking about the library of music that they did. And a lot of the music mixes are really well done in the game as far as like song mashups. Uh, like they have, a, in DJ Hero 2, they have um, Lady Gaga's Love Game, which is one of my favorite songs of hers, mashed up with um, Heartless by Kanye West. And like they just fit together really well and they're really smart. Um, and even DJ Hero 1 has one of the hardest songs in the game is called Groundhog and it's by, an, uh, by a drum and bass group called Noisia. And, like, even that is really ahead of its time because Noisia is one of, like, 
the best drum and bass electronic groups. Um, they're Dutch. It's a Dutch trio. And they're like really, like really famous and well known, like in the scene. But like a lot of people don't know who they are because they would never be on like an American radio station. So it was just like really forward thinking about the genre of music. And I stand by it. I think it's good. One of these days I'm going to get Ian over here and see how he fares in DJ Hero because I don't think he has ever played it before. So maybe I can finally be like, oh, look, here, I'm good at something that you're not for once in my life. Um, the only thing that I don't like about DJ Hero is, and this is kind of a big rub for me, is that whenever you play musical instrument games, you have to calibrate the sound, like the button presses you do to the sound of the TV, because every TV is a little bit different. And the calibration screens for DJ Hero and DJ Hero 2 are not very good. Like, instead of it playing like a clip of a song and letting you just kind of play along and adjusting like for what for how you play it based on what you see in here on the on the screen dj hero one has a thing where you like listen to a beep and you press a button on the platter as the beep happens and then you watch the the like the gameplay where like the notes come down the slider or whatever it's called and you like press the button as like as the notes line up on the screen and like that sounds all well and good but i've I've calibrated it like four times on the TV that I'm using. And like every time I calibrate it, the numbers are like way different than the time I calibrated it before, which maybe that says more about me than it does about the game. Like maybe I think I'm some great drummer or like, you know, rhythmic person and really I'm just garbage, but I, I like can't get it to calibrate correctly. And I feel like that they don't have a very good calibrate screen to make the game work and i mean in games like these timing is everything because everything you have to do goes to the beat of the music or it's lost and every time i calibrate it and play it i feel like it's just a tiny bit off and i don't know how to like adjust for it properly which i mean that's kind of a big rub but it's not the end of the world because you can still play the songs it's not like you're totally failing everything because the calibration's off a little bit but I, I don't think DJ Hero is very easy to come by these days. So maybe this is kind of a stupid thing to talk about on the show because you have to like have the DJ peripheral. You have to find the game. I mean, maybe you can find it on eBay or maybe some like old expensive copies on Amazon or something. But um, but I, I like DJ Hero a lot. I think it's really fun. Um, I'm terrible at Guitar Hero, so I can kind of redeem myself with DJ Hero. And I think it was ahead of its time. And I'm sad that it didn't get more sequels and more love because I feel like if it had launched later, it would have been a lot, uh, a lot more well-received and maybe more famous. Interesting. Interesting. Um, like I said, I've never seen it, but the people who have played it that I've talked to all really speak very highly of it. So, I mean, it, it's very well regarded as far as I know. I mean, I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about it, but I mean, didn't it kind of come towards the tail end of when people were kind of getting burned out of like all the plastic peripherals and the guitar hero and the rock band and, uh, all those other it seemed like we just those took off and then they were super super just explosive and everybody was doing them there was sequel and sequel and everybody had like 14 different plastic instruments and then i think we just like kind of hit saturation point didn't it come out kind of towards the tail end of that whole movement yeah it did and i think that's kind of it's big that was another big problem of it it's almost like if guitar hero would have happened later then DJ Hero probably could have flourished more because it definitely started coming out like on the tail end of that. And then eventually DJ Hero or Guitar Hero and Rock Band just kind of like died out for several years. And then they tried to bring both of them back and like they had new versions of them. They were out for a while and then they kind of died out again. So yeah, it was kind of like 
just wrong wrong timing all around for DJ Hero to come out. Yeah, that's I, I remember people saying it was hard to find because I think stores were not ordering that much at that time. And I think a lot of people were kind of just over the whole thing at the moment. And it, it seems like just probably bad timing. So I even I would be happy to give it a try if I had access to it, but I've never owned it and I don't know anybody that has it. So, oh, well, and as far as Guitar Hero and stuff, I mean, I played those back in the day and I thought they were pretty fun, but I was never great. I never, you know, I never like, you know, perfected like an expert level song or anything. I mean, good times if people were over and I had fun playing on the drums with my other son uh, sometimes. But, uh, yeah, pretty cool. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting. I wonder if those things will ever come back. I mean, I know we, like you said, they, they tried a revival and it was maybe too soon or maybe they just didn't have the right approach to it. I mean, it seems like a good idea and something that would kind of like maybe live on in karaoke bars or maybe like, <laughs> you know, like on the weekends or something, you go to some place with your friends and have a drink and play some Guitar Hero. And that's that's a good place for it rather than it being something that you like set up in your house. I mean, I think space concerns was another big thing because I knew a lot of people just had too much of that stuff. And as people uh, move into like apartments or maybe get some kids or something and then you just maybe don't have enough space for it all too. But uh Good times, good times. Uh, hopefully those things will still be around in some form or another, but uh, yeah, there you go. Well, glad you enjoyed DJ Hero. <laughs> Indeed. I will report back later if I get Ian to play it, and I will talk about how much better I am at it than him at some point, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you're already looking forward to the shit talking. It looks like your favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, he's like exceptionally good at Guitar Hero, so I really have no room to talk, but we'll see how he does it, DJ Hero. Interesting. I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I have a theory that people who are exceptionally good at one thing are not very good at other things. So, like, <laughs> it's just, you know, there's always somebody better than you at whatever it is. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be, like, a chef. You could be an artist. You could be a musician. Like, whatever. There's always somebody who is better than you. But when you start getting into that upper atmosphere of people who are just, like, stellar, I kind of find, like, like you know, the people, like, for example, who are great at Fortnite, um, which I talk about in the banter, People who are, like, Fortnite, you know, like, amazing, uh, amazing, like, you know, Wonderkind, who just, like, are at top. I wonder if they're any good at other games. I wonder not. Because you have to devote so much time and so much effort and so much energy and so much focus. It's impossible to be that good at so many things. So I wonder if they are, like, you know, your friend is, like, the best at Guitar Hero, but he like, completely blows at, like, any other game. Yeah, I I don't know. I'll have to find out. Report back. I'm going to I'm gonna wait for that report. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. Shall I go ahead and give you my second batch of uh, random shit? Yes, please. All right. Cool. So this is another smattering of stuff that I played over the last two weeks. Uh, first up, Quest of Dungeons. Um, if you listen to the show, you know I love me a roguelike, and I do love a roguelike on the Switch even more. This was one that people had recommended. They said it was pretty okay. Not the best, but a pretty solid roguelike. And I, at the time, I was wanting something that I could dip into on the Switch. I didn't want anything too big. Nothing that would be a, a huge time commitment. So I picked this up and it's fine. <laughs> it's like it is literally a roguelike and that's really all it has to say for itself. You pick from one of four different classes, fighter, archer, wizard and shaman, maybe. And they all have like, you know, slightly different powers it's standard roguelike. You move, enemies move, turn by turn. You pick up loot. You pick up uh, new weapons. I mean, it, it checks all the boxes, but there's just, like, not a lot 
to it that would make it stand out. Like if I had played this like maybe 15 years ago, I'd be like, oh my God, this is so interesting, amazing. But I've played like 100,000 roguelikes since then. And so <laughs> the whole genre has kind of moved forward and, and there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just, it's just, it's just a roguelike. Like there's nothing fancy about it. Like imagine somebody giving you a copy of Super Mario Brothers, the original Super Mario Brothers, but it wasn't Mario. And it wasn't didn't have the music and it just wasn't as good looking as Mario. And they're like, but it's, but it's it's a platformer. Play it. And you'd be like, OK, I mean, if you know, if this was the first game you ever played, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is this is fun. Jumping is fun. But if you have played 10,000 platformers, you're not going to want to play something as basic as that after the, you know, everything has moved forward. So I, I played it. First run was really poor. The second run, I got the hang of it and I got really, really far. And to be perfectly honest with you. I kept going and I just got bored and I just stopped. Like I didn't even lose my run. I just was like, okay, I'm good. I don't want to, I don't want to keep playing this anymore. I just, my hero was like on the fifth dungeon and I had plenty of life heals and I had good weapons and I, oh, okay, I, I'm, I'm done. That's all. That's all I need to see on this one. One really interesting thing about this, which I think is a real poor choice was, I don't know if you know this or not, maybe this is too much inside baseball, but when you're playing roguelikes, because nothing can move until you take a turn, sometimes it is strategically valuable to simply wait in one spot and let a monster come closer to you so that that way, when they are at a specific range, you can get the first hit in. That is a really key part of any good roguelike. And for some reason, these guys don't have that. Like, there's no way for you to sit in place and take a turn. So what this means is you will often find yourself at a disadvantage because of the way that a monster approaches you you will have to like make the first turn towards them, which then automatically gives them the first hit on you, which puts you at a disadvantage. Not cool. It's a very basic tenet of roguelike um, design that you can sometimes pass a turn if you want to, because it gives you a little bit of an advantage. Surprised, very surprised to see that this game has no function like that, which um, puts it one notch below being the average roguelike. So it's fine. If you have absolutely nothing to play and you need a roguelike to play, this will fit the bill. It is a roguelike, but there is literally nothing else about it that is special or noteworthy or fun. It's not it's not terrible. It's just like it's like the it's like the equivalent of just like eating, you know, eating some eating, eating white bread, you know, like there's nothing fancy about it. <laughs> It'll fill you up if you eat enough of it. And it's you know what it tastes like, but there's nothing, you know. No cheese on it. There's no meat. There's no, you know, nothing. It's just like a slice of white bread. So Quest of Dungeons. Uh, next up, I was still in a roguelike mood. So I saw Enter the Gungeon had a big update called Gungeons and Dragons. <laughs> get it? Get That's it? Funny. Get it? I see what they did it there. Is, you see what they did there. Have you ever played Enter the Gungeon, Corey? I have not. Okay. Don't. It's not your thing. <laughs> Uh, so this it's a roguelike where you play a guy entering a dungeon that is full of different kinds of guns. And so you pick up all sorts of different guns. Every enemy in the game is somehow themed like a gun. Either the enemy is shaped like a bullet, they're shaped like a gun, or something. Like, everything is some kind of a pun playing off of guns or bullets or something like that. It's I mean, the graphics are pretty cute. This is put out by the same people who put out that game that you fucking hated. Um, Roll 7? What's the name of that game that you reviewed for Game Critics where you oh, thought it was going to... Oh, Not a Hero? You know what I'm... Yes, this, those people make this game if that tells you what you need to know. Okay. I mean, I'm not so, going to discount them for making one game that I don't like, but yeah, I see what you're saying here. Yeah, like that, that vibe is still present here. And so in practice, it's pretty cool, but I find that the original incarnation of, of Enter the Gungeon was way too hard because 
it ends up being very bullet hell, uh, where you're not, it's real time. You have to dodge. So you have a lot of action mechanics. And then a lot of the enemies are just like spamming bullets at you left and right. And so they want you to roll and dodge and take cover and do all that sorts of stuff, which is basically fine. But I think they just kind of go too far with it. I think the difficulty is too hard. And I don't think you get enough guns and enough good stuff to kind of really make you feel like you're ever got the edge on somebody. So I was curious to see what they would do with this update because I was kind of in the mood for it and I wanted to give them a second shot. And I basically the same. I think I had a couple good runs at the beginning. So I felt like maybe the difficulty was better. But then I started losing hardcore and I'm like, oh, okay, it's exactly the same as it was. I must have just got lucky those first couple runs. And I feel like progress is really slow. You don't unlock enough stuff as you go quickly enough. I feel like it turns into a grind pretty quickly. And I just, I don't ever get better. Like, I don't feel like I learn anything. I don't feel like I get good strategies. I mean, that's one good thing about a, a great roguelike is even if you lose, you feel like, oh, okay, well, I learned about more about how this weapon works. Or, oh, I learned about a, a good strategy for this kind of monster. Or, oh, if I do this item at this place, then that'll help me get further. And even if you don't win, like you learn as you go, like you're constantly feel like at least you're getting better. But in this game, I don't feel like I'm ever getting better. I feel like it just comes down to twitch reflexes uh, and a lot of like, you know, just like slowly, slowly, slowly hoping you find the right gun. And if you get a good gun, great. And if you don't have a good gun, that's not great. And I just feel like this, I don't know. I just, I wish they would make it easier. I think it'd be more fun because I really do like the aesthetics and the concept of what they're doing. Uh, it just feels like too aggressive and too unfriendly. And I don't feel like my time is well spent there. So um, I may give it a couple more tries here and there, maybe five minutes here, 10 minutes there, but it's not something that I'm coming back to often enough. Um, and again, if you have any comments, just jump in. Dude. I'm gonna, otherwise, I'm going to roll ahead here. Uh, next, I tried Divinity Original Sin on the PS4, which is put out by Larian. And this was a really um, very celebrated, award-winning RPG where you have either two characters together or two people in real life can co-op. So that's interesting. Uh, lots of mechanics between the, the characters that you play, like they can have discussions and have to decide about what actions to take. And then they're in this giant, giant world, top-down Euro RPG full of like stories and characters and things to find and stuff to do. Uh, very intricate, very detailed, very dense. It seemed really, really cool. And I have played Larian games before and I have liked them in the past, but that was when I was a young man who had free time and less <laughs> obligation. I started playing this and I liked everything that I was seeing, but I just felt like it was so massive and I felt like it was such a dense game that it was taking me so long to make progress. I was just like, I, I'm going to spend 85,000 hours on this and I don't want this to be my one game for the rest of the year. So I liked what I saw, but it just seemed like too much of a commitment, you know, like it was just, it was asking for too much from the get go. And I, I, I got scared at how deep it was and I bailed. So no complaints about it. I mean, it seems really, really cool. And actually Divinity Original Sin 2 is coming out, I think next month. Also a very celebrated, very uh, well-received game. Looks like it's great stuff if you have the time and inclination. It just feels like a very massive, very big thing to take on. And I just was like, no, nah, I don't want to be tied down like that with this one game. I mean, no, nothing against it, though. Have you ever played a Larian game at all? Any of the Divinity series? No, I have not. They've put out several, and they, they kind of change them up. I mean, they're, they're not all the same thing. I played a couple before... 
There was one where you turned into a dragon. There was one that was kind of like another open world, but a little bit on the more action-y side. I mean, they've done several, and they've all been pretty good if you like the Eurojank kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish that I had like a whole other lifetime because I, I, could, I could see myself playing this and getting into it, but just not right now. And this kind of also gets back to our AMA show when people ask like what genre do you think we would like more or wish we would like more and uh, the CRPG this is basically a CRPG and I, I like it but I can't like it that much so I, <laughs> I, I gotta put it aside well uh, Patrick this is something that he, he's been playing Divinity Original Sin 2 on PC a lot he plays with some of his friends from Omaha and I just uh, opened Steam on the PC while you were talking to C and he has logged 94 hours in Divinity Original Sin 2, so he has been playing the shit out of this game. I'm not surprised, and I bet he's still, like, in the first area, too, because uh, <laughs> uh, Mike Susky reviewed the PC version of Original Sin 2 for us, and I think he logged, like, I want to say, like, 300 hours or something on oh it. Like it's, it's a huge game, and he loved it. I mean, he said nothing but good things about it. And everybody I've talked to has said nothing but good things about it. And I, I thought it looked great, but I just, you know, I just, that's, that's a big commitment and I don't have that kind of time and that kind of patience anymore. So no, nothing bad to say. Just, just not my thing right now. Not, it's not hitting me at the right time in my life, but I'm glad to hear that Patrick is enjoying it. I've heard great stuff. Uh, moving on, moving on uh, to the Switch, a game called Hiroki, H-E-R-O-K-I. Uh, this was originally a mobile game, getting back to the thing we discussed recently of mobile games hitting hitting the Switch. But this is actually a pretty good one. Uh, you play as a little... It's a 2D kind of a platformer, and you play as a little guy who's got a propeller on his head. You should Google it right now, because I think the character design is awesome. He's so cute and likable, and the visuals of the game are very, like, very 90s character action... You know, very mascot-like. So I really like the way that Hiroki looks. Um, you use your propeller to fly. There's no limit to your flying, so you can kind of fly through these levels. Uh, 2D side-scrolling. You're uh, going into each level looking for a couple hidden items and trying to make your way towards the end. It's more about exploration than it is about action, which makes a lot of sense if you consider that it comes from an iOS perspective uh, because I don't often find that fast action games or reflex games work very well on iPhone. Uh, but it's very good. It's very good. I've been chipping away at it a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, it's a little bit on the repetitive side. I wish there was a little bit more action to it uh, because after a while I kind of get tired of looking for hidden items. But I come back to it every couple days to do one or two levels and then stop and then come back to it. I do think it's pretty cool. I do think it's very good. I like it. And this is an example of good iOS content coming to the Switch. <laughs> and it's just, it's cute as shit. Are you looking at a picture of it? Can you see it? Yeah, it looks kind of like... Looks a little bit like Mega Man meets Crash Bandicoot or something. Yeah, yeah. It's very much in that vein of, like, character action. I think the character design is very good. The art style and aesthetics are very good. So I like it a lot. Um, it's not the kind of thing that I can just, like, jam through and play. Like, if it was a bit more action-y, like, if there was uh, a little bit of combat or uh, a little bit more reflex, I think I probably would, would have burned through it. But it's very, it's very relaxed. It's very explorative. It's very welcoming and friendly. You could easily let your kids play this, no problem. Um, so it's good. It's very good. I like Hiroki a lot. I'm going to finish it. I'm just kind of slowly working my way through it. Nothing but good things to say about that one. And finally, uh, a game from Zoink. I'm a Zoink fan. They are, I believe, a Norwegian or Swedish or, you know, 
I feel bad whenever we talk about that region of the world because I honestly don't know fuck all about it. And I kind of assume they're all just like a bunch of white smiling blonde people in the same area. Like, I don't know. Sweden, Norway, Scandinavia. You know, I don't know. We don't. As Americans, we've said this before. We just don't have much awareness of that part of the world. Uh, but they're all very nice. They're all very nice people over there. I've met several of them and they're all very nice. So this comes from their flipping death uh, from the same people that made Stick It to the Man. I know we've talked about Stick It to the Man before. You never tried it, though, have you? I didn't, but you have talked about it before. I love Stick It to the Man. It's brilliant. It's funny and dark and hilarious. I love Stick It to the Man. Uh, So this is the next game like that. Spiritual successor called Flipping Death. You play as a girl who accidentally ends up taking on the job of being like the Grim Reaper on on a mistake. And so she can... (laughs) go back and forth between the spirit world and the living world, which is why they call it flipping death. Because when you're in the spirit world, everything is going like left to right. And then you go back to the living world. Everything goes from right to left. So it's kind of like you're going back and forth on the same 2d plane. And it's a, it's basically a point and click. You talk to different characters, find out what their problems are, uh, but streamlined and pretty simplified, a little bit of platforming, a little tiny, tiny bit of like, I don't want to say combat. It's more about like avoiding things that are trying to kill you. You're not really like fighting anything, uh, but it's very cute. The humor is pretty good. If you liked stick to the man, this is great. And if you're looking for an unusual eccentric point and click on the switch, I think it's on the other system as well. Xbox one PS4. Uh, it's very cool. It's got a very great sensibility, very unique aesthetic. Um, everything about it is really fun. I just scratched the surface of it. Uh, before the show, I will be uh, playing through this. I may have something to say about it later on, but I definitely recommend it. My only complaint is I think the graphics are a little bit small on the Switch. And to be fair, I played it also on the PS4. And I think the graphics are a little bit small there as well. I wish they had sized everything up a little bit just to make it a little bit more clear and readable. But other than that, no complaints. It seems like a very fun time um, for people who like uh, jokes and narrative and point and click. So there you go. Flipping death. That seems like a real thumbs up so far. And that ends my scatter shot this week. I have one more game to talk about, which we will get to the end, but, uh, any questions on what I brought up or shall we move ahead? Um, I just want to say, I know, I think I've said this on the show like three or four times before, but, and I think maybe I mean it this time, maybe, um, <laughs> oh, dear what I'm, I think I'm like dangerously close to buying a Nintendo switch like very soon because as we talked about recently my birthday was a couple weeks ago and although I turned 30 and I am older now my parents still send me money on my birthday so I don't know if that's a thing like because obviously like you know your family gives you money as you're growing up or buys you presents or whatever but I feel like I mean I'm not ungrateful because I'll take money in any capacity that I can get it. But I think it's kind of hilarious that I'm 30 and my parents still send me money for my birthday. Um, But my dad and mom, between the two of them, uh, they sent me $160 in cash, which is kind of a strange number, but that's the way it is. And I have the... We talked about me getting a credit card on the show a long time ago. Well, I have... My, like, my credit card has, like, rewards programs and stuff, and I was able to cash in a certain amount of rewards on my credit card to get money, like, kind of reimbursed in a way to my checking account. And if you cash in a certain amount of rewards, they my bank sends me, a like, one of those, like, Visa gift cards worth $25. 
and I have a $50 gift card to Target. So if you add all of that together, I could get a Switch for, I think it's like 50 bucks or something like out of pocket. So I'm pretty sure that as soon as my bank gift card comes in the mail, which who fucking knows how long that'll take to get to me, I think I'm just gonna go to Target and buy a Switch for my birthday. It's time, dude. It's time, especially for 50 bucks. I mean, I'm mostly playing the Switch these days um, for portability reasons, but also just because there's a lot of really interesting stuff on it. And I my ba- I have a backlog on the Switch right now. There's <laughs> Every week there is new and interesting stuff. And I know your taste. There's actually, I bet, a, quite a few things that you would find interesting on the Switch. Um, not necessarily the hardcore Nintendo stuff, because I don't usually go in for that stuff either, but... Um, like the indie stuff is just like full bore just every week. There's like five or six or eight new ones that all look interesting. And I really do like how you have a wish list on the store so you can easily keep track of ones that come out. Maybe you don't want to buy them right now. Maybe you're going to wait till they're on sale, but you, you click them all. I think my wish list is like, it's like, like fucking like 35 games or some shit like that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it is time. It is time. We need to talk about switch. You're, the time is now I can, without reservation say that if you are a gamer you you basically need to have a switch right now there's no excuse not to have one if you are a writer or a critic or you're interested in games in general or you just spend a lot of time playing games like switch is where it's at right now it's definitely unreserved reservation you gotta you gotta get in on it man yeah make it happen i I know i know i've been i mean i've been in the camp of wanting to get one for a while but going out and spending $300 plus tax on a console is not, I mean, I can't like, I could go buy one today and I wouldn't be like poor, like get kicked out of my house or anything, but that's like not a good way that I want to spend $300 right now. So, but I think given that the gift card situation and birthday cash surrounding me, I think I will probably buy one pretty soon. Yeah. If all you got to do is 50 bucks out of pocket, dude, there's like literally no better deal. I mean, that's like less than the price of a brand new game. You, you gotta do it. It's It's time. It's time. <laughs> I know that in the beginning I was a little bit hemming and hawing, but it's only gotten better and better and better as time has gone on. And, like, the, the amount of games, like, knowing your taste in games and my taste in games, like, it's it's the place to be right now. I say you go for it. I will, and I will report back whenever I buy it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, all right, that's all I got to say. Let's move on. We still got uh, a number of games to talk about. Corey, you – okay, let's – you've got two here. <laughs> you've got two here, and they're both – they both feel like pretty big games. Tell me about, let's talk about Metal Gear Solid 5. Okay, so I have no, I, I have no like rational reason for why I played this. I didn't play it again. I just like, oh my God. All right, my history with Metal Gear Solid 5 has been well documented on the show, and so I'll keep it short, but there is perhaps no greater game that I have wanted to like more and disliked as much as I do than Metal Gear Solid 5. <laughs> like, I, like, I, I wanted to love this game and I thought it was going to be like the greatest and I'm, you know, I'm a Metal Gear fan. I know that I talked about Metal Gear Solid 4 on the show recently. I talked about how fucking batshit ridiculous it is, which it is, but I still like it. And I, for some reason, I was just looking at the games on my shelf and I was like, oh, Metal Gear Solid 5, like, I, I wouldn't mind putting that in again and giving it, you know, I don't know, a third chance or however many times. And full disclosure, I played the whole game whenever it came out, um, like, a couple of years ago. Like, I, I played all of it. It's not like I played it for 10 minutes and stopped. Like, I played the like whole thing. Like, all the way, the whole, the entire game. Well, I played, like, there's a bunch of missions that are, like, duplicates that give you, like, more... 
stuff, like different stuff to do in the same mission. And I didn't play those, but I played all of the story missions, like the part one and the part two story missions. So, okay. So you saw the entire narrative arc and yes. I know that some people said that like you should stop after the first quote unquote ending because the second half is really shitty. So I was like, you know, but you saw the whole thing. Yes. I saw the whole thing. Okay. Please continue. All right. So, and basically I put it in and was just like, oh, let me revisit this. Like, this is one of those things, like, we talked about whenever I whenever I tried uh, Shadow of the Colossus, the new one, the, like, the totally remade one, where I'm like, you know, a lot of people like this game. Maybe I'm the crazy one. Maybe I should try it again, even though I played it for, like, 100 hours the first time I played it and somehow still was not convinced that my dislike for it was real. So I put it in, and I played a side op, which is like a side mission in the game where you go and rescue a prisoner. There's like a bunch of different kinds of side ops. And I just remembered all over again why I didn't like it. Because like, you, you, whenever you start a mission, you have to select a drop zone to drop your helicopter. And of course, the drop zones are like kind of close to an objective, but they're never like very close to an objective. So you have to drop, and then you have to fucking, like, get to the objective, which means you have to run across the map for, like, 16 years to get to where the mission thing is taking place. And then it's just, like, you're at, like, a little base, and there's, like, some dudes, some guards around. You can kill them. You can can sedate them or whatever. And it's just, like, not interesting. It's just, like, that mission, like, over and over and over again. There's only, like, a few standout missions in the game. And but most of it is just like you dropping in your helicopter and it takes like a minute for your your helicopter to get where it's going. And all you do is just sit there and look out the window of it. Then you drop. You have to like run across the map to get to some stupid objective where you have to rescue somebody or do some stupid shit. And then you have to call the helicopter to come back in and you can only extract in the, the same places you can drop. So you call the helicopter to come back in. So you run 16 years back across the map to get where you're supposed to be going in order to get up to the helicopter. You get to the helicopter and then you sit in it. Once you sit in the helicopter, it takes like 15 seconds of you sitting in it before the helicopter takes off. And then it takes off. It takes like 30 seconds for the helicopter to get back up to the atmosphere. And then it goes back to the main menu where you select whatever mission you want to do next. And It's just, like, a lot of, like, fucking bullshit surrounding the gameplay, and the gameplay is not even that good. So I put it in, I played one mission, and that was enough for me to remember why I didn't like playing it in the first place, and then promptly took it out of the PlayStation 4 and will probably put it back in in two years and be like, oh, was it really that bad? And then I'm going to do this whole thing again, so... If I ever bring this up, just tell me not to play it again, and then that will be the end of it. So that was my thing with Metal Gear. Do you have any questions or anything, or do you want me to move on? I mean, I, 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 I share your feelings in a certain way. I, have, I didn't play Phantom Pain uh, because I heard a lot of people saying it had a lot of problems, and it sounded like pretty significant problems. So I stayed away, and honestly, I did not like Metal Gear Solid 4, so I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth um, after that. But I did play Metal Gear Survive, which I thought was fantastic. And so after I played Survive, I'm like, oh, man, that was so fun. I could totally go for more of that. And I know that, you know, like, I know you have, you have like, a dog in Metal Gear Solid 5, right? You can have the dog as a teammate, is that right? Yeah, you can get him in, like, pretty early in the game and then take him on missions with you. If you choose to, you can also take a horse, you can take... 
quiet, the ridiculous lady in the bikini who breathes through her skin because of reasons. But yeah, you do have a dog you can take. Yeah. So I was like, oh, man. And for some reason, like the idea of going on a mission with a dog just was like really appealing to me. I'm like, oh, I really want to I want to go out with my dog. My dog can kill somebody and I'll <laughs> kill dudes and we'll kill dudes together. And that'll be a good time. And then I'll pet him afterwards. And it'll be fun. Uh, so like I just I really wanted to play it. And I'm like, but I'm like, no, because I know I'm going to hate it. Like I know it's, people are, you know, people are already telling me don't play past the first half and all these caveats about, oh, you know, watch out for this thing and oh, watch out for this thing. And it just sounds like it just has a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties. And I, I'm guessing I probably would be really annoyed if I played it. So like every, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I should give it a shot. And then I'm like, and then I hear you talk about it and I hear something <laughs> like this pops up. I'm like, oh, I need to not play this. But uh, I, I'm tempted. I'm going to, I'm going to crack it at some point because I really did like, um, what was the one that came out before Phantom Pain? That little demo part. It was oh, uh, Ground, Ground Zeroes. Zeroes. Yeah. I had a pretty good time with Ground Zeroes. And so, I mean, I kind of would be up for more of that, but. I know in my heart of hearts, I'm probably going to like not be on board with, with what's <laughs> going on. So, oh, well, uh, I guess out of curiosity, who did you usually bring with you uh, on your missions? Who was, did you, were you the dog? Were you the horse? Were you, there's also like a mech suit you can bring, right? The little robot thing oh, you can ride? yeah, yeah, yeah. If you capture a mech suit, you can take it with you. I always brought um, the dog most of the time. The thing that I like about, and the dog is rad. So like you're, you're like, I don't know what the opposite of reservations is. You're like leaning toward the dog being cool is totally in the right space because the dog like can sniff out enemies for you. So kind of like as you're moving across the map, the enemies automatically pop up in your field of view. There's like a little reticle that pops up over them. So um, it's kind of like, um, like some of the animals in Far Cry do this too, where like they kind of like label enemies for you. The dog does the same thing in Metal Gear, which is awesome because then it means you can be like a little more careless when you're running around because you don't have to worry about an enemy coming up out of nowhere and shooting you because you have um, the pop-up on the screen that shows where they are. And also you can like send the dog to go do things. Like I have this like ridiculous but amazing like sneaking suit that my dog wears and he has a stun baton there's like a kill sneaking suit and there's a stun sneaking suit and i'm i'm like not i don't kill people a lot in games i like to sedate them if i can and so you can like point to an enemy and send the dog and he like runs to the enemy and like jumps up on the enemy and like has a stun baton in his mouth and like stuns the enemy with his mouth stun baton and then the enemy passes out and it's really an incredible scenario but I don't use it often because I think it draws attention to the situation and I would much rather like use a pistol from far away and just like shoot people with sleeping darts. But it's the dog is definitely incredible and I take him most of the time on missions with me. See, you're saying that and I'm like, God, I want to do that. I want to send my dog out. I want my dog to like stun dudes or kill if he's if it's the kill suit, does he have a knife in his mouth or something? Yeah, he has a knife instead. See, that's amazing. I want to have a dog with a knife in his mouth that runs around. That sounds fucking phenomenal. And I like I hear you. I'm like, oh, oh, it does, it does, it works. Like I think it's gonna work. I want to go do that. But then again, but then I remember. I actually, now that I recall, I actually think I did start this game. This is the one where it starts off with, he's got a spike in his head or something, and then like there's like that giant like flaming whale, and you're like riding a horse and shit. Is that is that this one? That is this one. Yeah. Oh, that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> that was so bad. I remember being like really appalled at how stupid like Kojima like it is like most Kojima esque and like oh like I it just really turned my stomach so okay I I'm gonna have to debate this because I gotta say man a dog with a knife in his mouth is really really <laughs> speaking to me right now but I don't know we'll see we'll see okay anyway move on moving on what else did you have uh, what else did you have for your section here 
Um, I played recently on PlayStation Plus the free games that came to PlayStation Plus. Uh, Mafia 3 was in the this month's free games. So if you're listening to the show and you have PS Plus, it's one of the August games. Um, I played, I game flight Mafia 3 whenever it came out in 2016 and played it. And I kind of fell to where I normally do with open world games where I was like, yeah, it's fine, but you know, I don't feel like playing a game for a hundred hours. I don't feel like doing the exact same copied and pasted open world thing that every other game since Grand Theft Auto three has been doing where you drive 10 minutes across the map, you talk to somebody for five minutes, you go kill someone, then repeat a hundred times and the game's over. But, um, the interesting thing for me now is that, I mean, obviously it's free, so I downloaded it for free. I wasn't going to like pay to play this game again, but uh, Mafia 3 takes place in New Orleans, and at the time of playing it in 2016, I did not live here, and now I do. So at the very least, I basically played it, I played it for about an hour the other night. It's kind of like a like a geography, like, I don't know, experiment to see totally, like, if it totally. looks that way. Yeah, that's just like the same thing as when I played... Um Infamous Second Infamous Son. Second Son, because yeah. it was set in Seattle. And I'm like, I didn't really, I hated that game, but I wanted to see how they <laughs> interpreted Seattle. So how did they, how do they do with New Orleans? Well, it, to me, it doesn't really look a lot like New Orleans, but also the game is set in like 1960s. So obviously New Orleans now looks a lot different than it did then. Um, but the weird thing about the way the map is set up, because like I looked at them at the map and the menu and I kind of zoomed out and it doesn't really look super like the geography of new Orleans based on the map. I mean, the map is divided up into like six or seven areas and almost the entire lower half of lower half of the map is this big, like swampy bayou area, which I mean, yeah, like new Orleans obviously has like big swampy areas like that, but it takes up a lot of the map and they have like a downtown and they call it the French ward in, uh, in mafia three, but it's really the French quarter in real life. And, uh, like everything that's kind of outside of the downtown area doesn't super duper feel like New Orleans to me. And I live outside of downtown, like I'm like 15 minutes away and I'm in real life. But whenever you get to the French quarter area of, um, of mafia three, it definitely looks similar to like canal street downtown and like bourbon street and stuff like that. Like I was definitely getting, some pretty good vibes on like the colors of the city and the way the houses are set up and the way the businesses are set up. Like it looks pretty similar to me, which was definitely cool. And unlike infamous, cause I know in infamous, they have like, um, like the science museum is there like recreated, like, you know, pixel for pixel to how it is in real life. And they have certain like things that are like, you know, perfectly rendered in the game that are in real life. But I don't think, um, I don't think Mafia 3 has anything like that. I think it's just like all kind of an extrapolation of what New Orleans kind of looks like. So I wasn't able to go down and be like, oh, like here's that store or that museum or the church or whatever. It just has stuff that kind of looks like it. Um, But I mean, it's like, okay. I mean, if you had handed it to me and told me and not told me it was in New Orleans, I probably wouldn't have known maybe until I got to the downtown area. but I mean, it's better than like, like Wolfenstein two has a new Orleans area and it doesn't look anything at all like new Orleans ever. So like, it's better than that. But, um, I don't know. It was just kind of a fun experiment, but the game as it stands, like, it's just like every other open world game out there. Um, I know the story got a lot of praise at the time. I still am not feeling the story on it. I don't really think it's that interesting. 
Um, I mean, it has a black protagonist, which I think is great because, you know, we need more people of color protagonists and minorities in games, you know, leading them. But I don't know. It's just like an okay game. It also has not aged very well visually. Like, it doesn't look very good. It looks like a PlayStation 3 game to me at this point. And maybe that's just me being a jerk, but... Um, I don't know. It was just a little experiment that I did and I played it for about an hour and then turned it off and then that was that and I probably will uninstall it and never play it again. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I I know that a lot of people were, were praising it. If memory serves, this is the one where you play as a black Vietnam vet who is returning from Vietnam and in the game, apparently there are scenes where he is like confronting the clan and he's like, you know... Uh, I don't know, fighting against racism and addressing various issues of being a, a vet of color and coming back to a racist America. I mean, that sounds amazing. That sounds like a great game that I totally want to play. At the same time, uh, allergic to open world bullshittery. And I heard <laughs> that this game has a lot of it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, people were saying, like, even trying to just mainline it really took, like, way more time than it should. And as I'll, I, I did hear praise for the story, but... People were saying, man, you got to really be committed because they make you drive a lot. And I can't stand open world games where they make you waste a lot of time on just straight up traversal and side missions that are very repetitive. So it sounds like the gameplay part is not great, although I did hear that the story was good. But I do think there is kind of an interesting value in doing this like digital tourism of where you just want to see if things stack up uh, to what you know in real life. I mean, in, in Second Son's case, it was like they had taken one block from different parts of Seattle and then mushed them all together. So it was like one neighborhood was next to a neighborhood that in real life was nowhere near it, but it ended up being like the very next block over and uh, the monorail didn't go where the monorail was. I mean, I know they had to make like allowances and change things up. And it was like, if you looked in one direction, it looked like Seattle. But then when you turn the camera, you're like, Oh wait, that's not right. And that's not right. So, I mean, they did a fairly good job um, in that respect of capturing the flavor of the city in small bites. But overall that was a crap game. So another game I didn't play all the way through, but I do enjoy, I do enjoy virtual tourism. So at least, at least, I don't know, you give it a shot for that. So that was worth something, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, an interesting little experiment, but I mean, I guess I didn't expect them to create, you know, the entire city of new Orleans and all the surrounding areas, you know, block for block, but I don't know. It's, it's fine i guess it's fine if you're it's into fine. open world stuff it's serviceable but it's just <laughs> not it's not really what i'm into in games that is becoming like the so video games like official kiss off it's it's fine it's fine it's, it's fine <laughs> <laughs> all right all right fuck that garbage let's get to the good shit because this has been a long time coming and this will be the last game we talk about uh i know you talked about it a million times but we're going to talk about it again because i finally finally got around to playing hitman 2016 Finally. i know that you love that game and i love it too i love hitman i am a hitman fan i just at the time that hitman dropped i didn't have time to play it and it was also episodic so part of it was i didn't have time to play it and part of it was i wanted to wait till the whole thing came out and then it got busy and life happened and yada 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 but i finally got the itch last week i'm like oh, I, uh, uh, it's time it's time i got i got to play hitman right now right now get it out here <laughs> And I had the disc. I bought the disc a long time ago, so I put it in. Unfortunately, the disc was damaged, and it would not play. So I had to t send it back, and I got a new disc. And I kept having problems. For some reason, the PS4 will not read that disc reliably. And people were telling me 
it was something to do with the way the firmware interacts with the 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 disc reader and there was people saying oh if you go into the ps4's like bios or whatever and you can change this thing around and it'll help and i tried that and it kind of worked i don't know what it was i don't have any problems with any game but for some reason my ps4 was not liking hitman and i don't know what the deal was but i i i had a couple of glitches i had a couple of problems just straight up running it, but I eventually got to play through the whole thing. So I did play the complete campaign, played uh, every mission, uh, did a couple of the little alternate solutions for some of the missions. Basically, I just kind of did like, you know, one or two times through each level and then wrapped it up. Uh, But overall, I really liked it a lot. I thought it was a great game. I thought it was a great return to form for Hitman after the abysmal, shit-tastic garbage fire that was Absolution. I hated Absolution. I felt like Absolution had nothing at all of what I liked about Hitman. And it's, for me, the worst of the series. So to see them come back strong with Hitman 2016, I was very, very happy to play this. I thought it was wonderful. Really enjoyed it a lot. So I wanted let's talk about this for a minute, Corey. So I know that you really liked Hitman a lot. Obviously, you're like Hitman super fan. I wanted to ask you, like, what... What was your general play style when you were going through each level? Because I feel like we have very radically different play styles. Uh, I know you've talked about it before, but let's talk about it again. When you go into a Hitman level, what is what is Corey Motley's MO? Okay, so I've actually written a primer on Hitman for Game Critics as well, and I'm going to kind of repeat some of the stuff that I wrote for that because whenever I played... I mean, it's important to note that whenever you play Hitman 2016, there are... The game has what's called an opportunities system, and... It basically means that in any given level, there's like a handful. I mean, you can complete. I mean, most of the levels, it's you drop in. There's like a few people for you to kill. Maybe there's like a secondary objective, like you have to pick up an information packet or something like that, and then you get out. And, you know, as anybody who's played Hitman will know, the game can go a number of different ways. You can go in and you can murder 500 people in the level and get out, or you can go in and you can be really sneaky and just like you know, snipe the one guy and leave or um, the opportunity system. They're kind of like really elaborate and interesting ways for you to complete objectives. And to be fair, a lot of the hitmans that came before this had opportunities, but they weren't like concretely displayed. You just kind of had to figure them out. And like, for example, one of the opportunities for one of the levels is like the first level, for example, the Paris level, it's like a fashion show the guy, one of the guys who's, like, the lead designer of the, or, like, who owns the clothing brand or something, like, you have to kill him, and his wife is running this, like, black market option, auction, and the top level of, like, the big palace thing they're in, you have to kill her. Um, She's really good friends with one of the guys who's walking in the fashion show, who's, like, this famous dude, uh, like, this model, and so one of the opportunities is that you can actually incapacitate the model and you can put on his clothes and you can go get your makeup done because the model looks similar to Agent 47. You can go get your makeup done by the makeup artist behind the stage because they have really like elaborate makeup on um, that kind of disguises them a little bit. And then you can go to meet her for a one-on-one meeting and then you can kill her in any number of ways during the one-on-one meeting. So that's like an opportunity. It takes like several steps for you to get to the end point uh, but you have to do something every step of the way. And the game has, in the options menu, you can you can turn it on so that the game will basically guide you on how to get to the, of how to do every step of the objective. Like it might tell you uh, 
something that you need to get, or I might put a waypoint on the screen that maybe shows where the model is or where like a wrench is if you need to open something that requires a wrench or a screwdriver. Um, or you can turn the opportunities off completely and it will be, the game will tell you absolutely nothing. You just have to try to figure it out yourself. Well, and there's, there's a minimum one. There's like a slider in the middle too where it gives you like some information, but not all the information. So you can set it to three different levels. Um, every time I went into a Hitman level, that the first time I played it, um, I would play, because I'm the kind of person, because I played it as it came out, where I played every mission um, over and over again because they released about once a month. So instead of going from one mission to the next, to the next, to the next, like you did, I assume, I played one mission over and over and over and over and over again because I wanted to get all the gear from the mission and because I didn't have anything else to play because they weren't all out at the time. But whenever I went into a mission, I turned the opportunity system off completely. So that way it would really force me to like immerse myself into the world as thoughtfully as possible and really explore and listen to conversations. And one of my favorite things about the Hitman games is that the levels are so big and elaborate that you can, um, I would spend like two hours just walking around the level and trying to see what was where, who went where, what guards were where, what uh, disguises I might need to get into certain wings of wherever I was going without ever actually taking a step to like put on a disguise or knock someone out or go kill someone. I would just spend like an hour or two just totally canvassing everything that was going on in the level. And that might sound really boring and really lame, but that's like my favorite thing to do in the Hitman games. Just really like understand because every level is like, you know, it's like clockwork. It's this really intricately done, a really complex, multi-level arenas. And people go all sorts of ways. Um, you know, maybe I would notice a target who would go to a bartender and grab a drink. So I would suspect, hey, maybe there's a way that I can poison him or maybe I can be the bartender or something like that. And there's just like a lot of stuff going on. So I would play every mission two or three times with opportunities completely off. And then once I felt like I had... You know, more often than not, I would pick up on one of the opportunities myself and I would end up playing one all the way through on my own without any hints because I'm such an excellent hitman player. Not really. Um, and then after that, I would turn the opportunities on the, the full mode. So that way, anything I had messed up, because there's probably like five or so opportunities per level. Um, and you can only do one at a time for the most part because they're all like target specific and they end with the target dying. So like after you do one, you can't really like reverse it and do another one. So you have to play through every mission, like, I don't know, like five to seven times to get all the opportunities. And that's what I did. I would play through all of them and do every, I did every single opportunity, I think for every level, um, the first two or three being without any clues at all, then I would turn the clues on and do the rest. But I didn't do all of the, there's like, I can't remember what the other thing's called, but there's like a number of like random things you can unlock and points you can get from doing other little things in the level. And some of them are like, doing the level without changing your clothes or doing the level with no witnesses or stuff like that. And I would do some of those, but there's a lot of, there's probably like 30 per level. So I wouldn't stress myself out doing all of those, but I did do every opportunity and I tend to play as stealthily as possible. Get in, get out. No one's the wiser, rarely killed anybody except for the targets. Um, always hid the bodies and I'm a frequent save and reloader because if I mess up, I reload my save, and that's that's it. That was a really long explanation, but that's generally how I play them. Okay, so we are totally different Hitman players. <laughs> um, I think we both love the series equally, but I play in a different way. 
Uh, so I, just talking about the opportunities for a second, I didn't, um, I had heard about them, but I didn't quite know how they were in practice. And so the first couple of times that I played, I just, le- I just left the game like default settings and on the default settings, it, it very much wants you to see those things and it will guide you through those. And I was actually really surprised at how, um, how straightforward and, uh, clear it was about what it wants you to do. Like they want you to, you know, like for example, in the, one of the first tutorials, you got to get this guy inside of a fighter jet and then you need to sabotage the ejection seat that he gets shot out uh, of the plane and gets <laughs> killed, which is like it's like a five step process. And they tell you like along every step of the way, like what you're supposed to do now, grab the clipboard, now grab the wrench, now get him to come down, now tell him to pull. The... So like I I thought that was actually very cool um, because the like you said, these things have always been in Hitman, but it's very tough to to figure those out. And sometimes like you would, you would like me like, okay, I know you can do something here. I know this is something, but I don't quite know like what the step is to trigger it or how do I got to get this guy to do this thing. And so that would sometimes take a lot of work or sometimes you'd have to find a, a, an FAQ or something. So I like that they put that in. I think that was really cool. And I think it really shows the fu- also the funny side of Hitman. I think it's incredibly uh, an incredibly funny game. Um, if you like dark humor, like the way that people die or the things that people say or something is really dark, but also like super hilarious. So I think that that was a great addition. I really like that system a lot. I left it on, but and I'll, I'll get to this. The way that I play, I almost never did it because I felt like it was almost too easy. Like they were telling you these incredibly difficult tasks, but they were telling you every single thing along uh, every step of the way. So there was really I mean, you still had to do it and it wasn't just like you just walked and pushed X and that was it. I mean, there still was some skill involved in it, but I was like, oh, I don't want to do these because the way that I like to play Hitman is I like to go in and just like do it like like for real as possible. I know it's a video game. I know this is not a simulation, uh, not a, not a realistic simulation, but if somebody gives me the target, I'm like, I look at this thing and be like, okay, so if this was me how would I legit kill this person? Like, what would I, what what steps would I take? What would I do? And God help you if you are in my way, because I have no qualms whatsoever about if you are the nosy, uh, the nosy housekeeper, too bad for you. If you are the chef who can't mind his own business, if you are the gardener who looks over the hedge, any of you guys, no apologies. You're getting in my way and I will, I will take you out. No problem. So uh, I just really like, the thing I like best about this is the challenge of like getting in, and I would take disguises and Hitman, you can pick up clothes and disguise yourself as like, you know, kill somebody, take their clothes or knock them out and take their clothes. So I would I would take, you know, the gardener's outfit or I would take the housekeeper's outfit or the chef's outfit or whatever. That was fine. Um, but people will often see you. And if you are like a gardener and like some of the other gardeners will know that you're not part of the staff. And so you got to be careful around them. Uh, and that, that's a kind of an added element of danger, but I appreciate. But really, I was just about how am I going to get to this person? If I could shoot them through a window, I would. If I could somehow just kill them real quick, I would. And to me, like the really the, the most fun and the most rewarding part of Hitman is like getting up to somebody who seems like they're hard to get to and just like looking for that one moment, that one moment where the guard is looking away, that one moment where they walk behind a corner and no one can see them. And that is when you fucking grab them. Like one of my favorite moments of the entire Hitman 2016 uh, you're in a hotel in Bangkok and there's two targets. One guy is in a recording studio. One guy is like out on the terrace. He's like eating lunch. And then he kind of goes inside the lobby and he goes back and forth between the terrace and the lobby. And for the guy upstairs, I just dressed up like a, like a roadie or something that, uh, was on his recording staff. 
and I kind of followed him around. I knew he was going to go in the recording studio and people were like looking at me, but I was kind of dodging behind things and trying not to raise suspicion and nobody really spotted me or identified me. And I just followed this dude. I just kind of followed him around and he went inside this dark room. And as soon as he walked in, I like snapped his neck and nobody saw it. And I walked back out. No big deal. <laughs> and for the guy on the terrace, this was like my, my fucking favorite moment. So he's out on the terrace. There's a couple of little like um, blinds that are set up to give people on the terrace some privacy when they're eating. And he had a bodyguard and there was a chef and he was out eating his meal on the terrace. And I walked behind the, the terrace. I had no I had no costume on at all. I was just like straight up Agent 47. And I had my silence pistol. And I was standing behind where the guy was eating. And I just waited. I just waited. He was eating his pasta or whatever it was. The waiter walks <laughs> away. The bodyguard looks to the left. I pop around the, the blind, shoot the guy in the head. He falls over. And I just I just duck back around the blind. And that's it. And I just keep walking. <laughs> and it was just like a, like a 1.5 second window. But I totally got in there and got it. And like nobody knew. The guard turns back around. The guy's dead. And I'm like, I'm walking down the boardwalk. And I'm walking towards my escape boat best fucking moment i love those moments those are for me like the real like kind of predator moments where you're just really stalking this person and just anybody that gets in your way they're gone like you take them out just just go straight forward and get out and i just i love that the most so but i also appreciate that you can play hitman so many ways you can play your way you can play my way there's other ways to play i think that they really did a great job with the mission structure i really liked most of the missions um they're very very varied and fun um some were better than others uh, but they were all pretty good. And I really, really did like how the poisoned uh, blowfish sushi came back. That's kind of a Hitman classic. And you got to do that in the very last level of the game. So that was really fun. Making the poison sushi is is, is quintessential Hitman. Um, so overall, I really liked it a lot. I, uh, I didn't go back and do like all of the opportunities because, I mean, like you said, I played it all at once and I didn't have to do it episodic. I probably would have done it if it was episodic, but I didn't really have a reason to kind of replay them because I wanted to see what the next thing was and what the next thing was. Um, but overall, I, I, I liked it a great deal. Um, I didn't do any of the online stuff like the contracts or I didn't do any of the limited opportunity stuff. I didn't do the um, extra bonus Sarajevo 6 missions where they kind of recycle some of the levels and stuff. Um, so there was more I could have done, but I got to say, I really did enjoy my time with it. I thought it was really great. A great return to form. Great Hitman content. Very, very happy to see the series that I have loved for so long um, find its stride again after such a hard stumble with Absolution. So very excited for Hitman 2. And that's coming out, I mean, relatively soon, right? Yeah, that's in November. Yeah, very soon. So I definitely will be on board. I will try to play that at the same time you're playing. I'm sure you're going to be like a day one purchase. Am I wrong? Uh, you are not wrong. Yeah, I figured as much. So uh, <laughs> I probably will hook you up with a review if we get a review code. If we don't. Uh, I'm sure we will end up both just buying it and playing it. So I'm definitely back in Hitman mode, and I really would like some more of this stuff. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, trying to think if there was anything that I would fix or change about it. I'm not sure that there would be. I just was really happy to see the, the classic come back. What, what Did you have any big problems with Hitman or anything that you'd like to change or fix about it? Um, something, I think my biggest problem, and this isn't a huge problem, but one of my biggest problems with it is that, I mean, the game could definitely be played a lot of different ways and it is possible to kind of go in like you know guns blazing and murder everybody i mean it's probably not the best idea but one thing that i did not like was that i mean it kind of has the same problem as maybe like deus ex human revolution is that you know the game says you can play it anyway it says it can be a first person shooter it says it can be a stealthy shooter or whatever but like once like shit hits the fan and in hitman and in deus ex human revolution but even more so in hitman like uh, like, Agent 47, his health regenerates after a certain amount of time in Hitman. 
but he dies after like three shots. So I kind of wish that they would have like, I don't know, maybe even like after you beat the game once or something kind of like given, I mean, I don't want him to be invincible, but maybe like given him more health or maybe allowed him to have like body armor or some kind of like health kit or something to heal himself. Because I like the idea, you know, just as like a fun experiment to just kind of like, go in guns blazing because you have so many guns in the game that you can unlock but it's basically pointless to use weapons that aren't silenced because you shoot them and then you know it's kind of all over with i mean you can escape a situation if you like shoot a loud gun and you like run away or leave the scene but like it's kind of pointless to use loud weapons but you have a lot of them at your disposal so like once things get uh, you know, kind of go tits up in the mission and you and people are shooting at you and it kind of turns into a cover shooter. Like, it's, there, there's like not a very big chance that you'll survive because Agent 47 is so fragile and he dies so quickly after so few shots. So that was kind of like my big thing with the game was like, anytime it got even slightly actiony, like if I made a mistake or fucked something up and then I thought, okay, you know, I'll just navigate this. I'll try to shoot everybody. I'll try to run and hide. Like, you basically don't stand a chance because you die so quickly and I wish that it were just a little bit easier and he could take more hits in that regard. I agree with that. And I would like to see some things unlocked for that because I think it would be fun after you beat the level. I mean, maybe not, I mean, I guess you could do it at the beginning if you wanted to, I suppose. But I mean, I think it would be a cool thing if after you beat every level, he would just get like a, you know, body armor and a helmet and you could just go in like complete like guns blazing, like <laughs> grenade launchers and just fucking kill everybody and just do the like full on assault. Um, but the game is not built that way. And, I, you know, it, it, now that you say that, one thing that did occur to me that I was actually a little bit unhappy about was in the final level, it's the Japan level, you're in a hospital. If you do a certain thing, you can unlock um, the ninja suit and a throwing star and a katana. Did you do that, Corey? Of course I did that. Of course you did. I know you did, <laughs> but I wanted to just didn't want to assume. So I got the ninja suit and the throwing star and the sword. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to fuck some <laughs> shit up. And so you put the suit on. And I got to say, it is pretty fucking funny. Like you run in there and every hit is like an instant kill on those guys. So you just walk up. You're just like slicing dudes left and right. It was really fun to just like just for a moment, not be hiding, not be stealthy, not be sneaky. You just fucking go in there and just wreck shit, which is great. But the problem <laughs> with that is the problem. I'll tell you what. So I got my ninja suit on, got my, my katana, killed a bunch of dudes. There was dead bodies all over the place. <laughs> and that was really fun. And uh, one of the targets in this uh, particular level, there's a guy who's getting like heart surgery and he's on the operating table and he's surrounded by a bunch of doctors. So I bust in there. Killing doctors left and right, just dead bodies all over the place. I get to the guy on the table. I'm like, I'm gonna, you're dead. And I couldn't kill him. I couldn't shoot him. I couldn't stab him with the sword. And I didn't do any of the steps that you need to do to like lead up to like sabotage the hospital oh. equipment. I couldn't kill him. I was like, what? I want to just stab this guy in the heart. I got a big sword. I got my katana. Couldn't <laughs> shoot him. Like it didn't register any of those things. And I'm like, okay, big problem, guys, because. If I'm just balls to the wall, busted in here, I should be able to fuck this guy up, no problem. Literally could not kill the guy on the table. It was a little bit of a, like, it really took me out of it, you know what I mean? Like, it just was like, oh, man, that sucks. Yeah, so I would I, I would like that. to see. I, I, I assumed it would be fine. Not fine. So I would love if they would, you know, just allow for it. Give us... Give us some, uh, allow for a real, just like full forward assault kind of a thing, just for funsies. That would be kind of fun. So I want to see a little bit of that. They should really just bring like 
Sega Genesis style cheat codes back for a game like this where you could just like give yourself god mode and invincibility and all weapons like that's something I would like to see yeah it just it would be fun it would just be fun that used to be a thing that was really fun you don't really see those anymore but I I think just for shits and giggles after you've already done the stealth after you've already done the hiding of the bodies after you've already done everything that you want to do and you just want to just run around and have some fun with it like I would love you know, bulletproof body armor, uh, cheat in God mode or something like that. Just for, just for fun. So anyway, um, those things aside, I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, you were totally spot on in all your recommendations and you were correct in praising it as much as you did. I had a great time <laughs> with it. Loved it very much. So looking forward to, uh, hit manager number two, and we will definitely do a more timely team up on that for sure. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and also I wrote, um, if you're somebody who listens to the show who frequents Game Critics site, um, I wrote an individual review for like every single level of Hitman. And I wrote like three or four extra pieces just about Hitman in general um, on Game Critics. So if you're interested in fishing any of those out, um, they're all readily available on Game Critics for you to read. Cool, cool, cool. Go check them out. They're still there. So, all right, we are to the final stretch of the show, are we not? I think we are. We have a little bit of Q&A follow-up. All right, cool. That's all the games. Let's get to the Q&A, and then we got to go, because I'm getting hungry, dude. i got to have a sandwich, man. I'm starving. <laughs> yeah, all right. So uh, last week, or I guess two weeks ago, we recorded a Q&A episode where we did about an hour-long show of just listener questions and put it out last week while I was traveling. And um, it turns out we had an email sent to our email inbox, but there was some complications with the email address, and we got the email after we recorded the show. But we are going to double back and do a little bonus AMA situation right now. Um, oh, before, is- you, before you jump into that, Corey, I just want to say real quickly, um, uh, apologies to anybody who had left a comment um, via the Game Critics posting. I had our email posted there, and I did not recognize that I had the wrong email. Um, it was... <laughs> Totally my bad. It's been up for like literally like 92 episodes. I had never realized that we had had the wrong email up there. So if you're a listener who has tried to email us and you found the email on the Game Critics posting, it was wrong. And I I super apologize for that. It's fixed now. It's all good to go. Uh, But if you thought we were jerks because we never got back to you or you didn't know what the fuck was up because we just the email didn't work or whatever. Please forgive us. It is now fixed. And uh, it was just a total accident. And neither one of us caught it for like literally 92 episodes. So <laughs> sorry. Sorry. But now it's, it's good, to, good to go now. So please continue, sir. Yes. And thank you to uh, Brian who sent in these questions because he caught the error based on I think he must have sent that email an email. He probably got like a email back that said this is not a real email address or something like that. So then he found our actual email address and then sent us an email. So um, Brian, who sent in a few questions, um, and he also gave, and his initial email to us gave us what I consider the best compliment I could ever hope to receive about our show, because he emailed us and said that he stumbled upon our show around episode four, so he has, like, been listening, he's in it for the long haul, like, episode four was a long, 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 long time ago, so thank you, uh, Brian, for listening so long, but he said that he stumbled upon the show and was thrilled to hear that Brad and I were not two frat bros discussing games, which made me laugh very loud whenever I uh, read that email. So thank you, Brian. We are not frat bros talking about Call of Duty every week. We talk about a lot of other stuff that's not frat bro related gaming. So thank you for that compliment. I thought it was hilarious. But he sent in a few questions and we're going to discuss them right now. Um, 
his first one, I actually don't have a very good answer for this, but I will go ahead and read it. Uh, he says, uh, are there any games you've played a good chunk through without realizing a basic part? Most recently for me, I didn't realize until halfway through Wolfenstein that you can dual wield guns. Uh, Brad, do you have an answer for this one? Um, my answer is that I actually am only just now realizing that there was questions I was supposed to write answers for, and I totally forgot to write. The, I, I meant to be prepared. I apologize. Uh, now that we're doing the segment, I am 1,000% not prepared to answer these questions. Uh, that is totally oh on gosh. me because you sent me the questions last night, and for some reason, I just my brain didn't register that I needed to do my homework. So uh, I will make this up as we go along. That has happened to me. Um, that has happened to me. I think probably, yes, yes. The most recent example um, is Fortnite, which we talked about in the banter. I will talk about in the banter. Uh, so one thing that happens in Fortnite, um, third-person battle royale shooter, you can build stuff. I'm sure most people have probably seen it in some capacity. Uh, I was getting owned by these dudes who kept building stuff really quickly. And I was like, I just thought that I was slow. Like, I'm like, I, I thought that maybe they had practiced a bunch that they were just really nimble and they, they knew the game so well that they were able to throw up these towers and walls and steps and to build this stuff really quickly. And I'm like, how are these guys doing this? Like, I, I think I probably have played like, I don't know, 85 million matches by this point. And I'm like, I just, I just thought I was just being really bad, but it turns out there is an option screen, which I had no idea existed at all that you can go into and you can assign every one of those little things that you can build onto a single button. So rather than the old school way of going into a menu and then selecting the thing and then placing it and then pushing confirm and then building it, you just push like R1. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, 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 okay. So there's actually like a totally super easy, super quick way to build all this shit that these guys were doing. And I thought I was just being completely lame this whole time, but no, there's actually like totally a way to configure that to make it easy and painless and quick. So I wish I had known that like 100 hours ago. Uh, that is probably my most recent example. Corey, what about you? Um, I, I thought about this and I couldn't think of a good example, but the best thing I can think of, um, it's like not, it's kind of, this like a really roundabout answer is um, I tend to, this is especially true whenever I'm playing shooters is I don't like, at least I haven't thought of something that I forgot most of the way through the game, but something that I tend to do is if like you give me a gun and you give me a situation where you're shooting people, I tend to completely forget about and not use like secondary weapons like grenades and stuff whenever it comes to video games. Cause I always find that like throwing a grenade, like it just never, like it just doesn't, it never works for me. Like I can never throw it where the enemies are. If I ever throw it, the enemies run away from it or just like stuff like that. So like if you give me weird like secondary weapons like that, like grenades or, you know, stun grenades, gas grenades, um, like any stuff like that. I mean, these are prevalent in most shooters like in Metal Gear and like Splinter Cell and, uh, you know, and, and games like that. I just like never use them. And I'm sure that if I actually put some effort into like using them appropriately they would make the game a little bit easier for me and this isn't necessarily something that i forget exists but i guess after a certain amount of time of not using them i kind of forget they're there and just stop and and just like kind of ignore them but i like if you give me secondary stuff like that unless it's like a core part of the game that i have to use a lot to like really get through i tend to just forget about it and not use them and 
that's, I don't know, it's not a great answer, but that's the best answer I can come up with right now. All right. I also share your grenade anxiety. I have problems <laughs> with those. Big time, big time. Next question, sir. Uh, the next one is uh, the worst and best trends in game marketing. Okay. So I, okay. So I have an answer for this one. I don't know that it necessarily qualifies, but it is something that I think maybe could qualify. Uh, I, I think that, especially in the indie scene, there's this perception that like people really need a bunch of multiplayer, have your friends over, same screen kind of run around brawl games. I've been getting a bunch of these. I've been getting a lot of emails about them. I've been getting a lot of PR about them. Uh, four player multiplayer craziness have your friends over it's a great party game a social fun friends party social like who plays these nobody plays these i like <laughs> i don't know anybody who plays them i asked twitter about it i'm like twitter are you playing multiplayer indie party games and and just not telling me about it and like everybody mentioned like the same three couple of games like you know um lovers in a dangerous space time there was, uh, I, like, I like a couple, like two or three that were really well-known came up. But I don't really see anybody jonesing for more, you know, same screen, little platformy, um, bashy-bash kind of party games. And I just get so much, um, so much about them. I mean, they must be really easy to make or something because you don't need to make AI. You can usually get away with really simple graphics. You don't need a lot of processing power. So they must be very simple to make. Um, but game marketing that tries to tell you that you're going to buy this shitty game and all your friends are going to come over and you're going to like have a pizza party and it's going to be fun and you might even have sex at the end of it. Who knows? I mean, oh, just boy. like, yeah, no, it's not true. I don't think anybody's really playing these and I don't know why people keep making them. Like, I, I get they're easy to make, but just make something else. I guarantee you they're going to lose money on it. Just do something better. What about best trend? Best trend... I don't have a best trend. I'll think about it while you say your answer. <laughs> I don't think I have a best trend either because I don't really pay a lot of attention to game marketing. I think if, like, this is going to be such a fucking basic-ass answer for best trend, but, I mean, the best way to market a game is to make a fucking good game, and then it markets itself. Like, that's kind of an easy answer for best trend, but... My worst trend is probably, this is going to make me sound like an old, like, crotchety dude, but for a while, um, there was a lot of uh, marketing surrounding streamers playing games where I remember, I think Far Cry Primal was a big one that did this whenever it came out, like, they gave, you know, a bunch of, like, really high-profile streamers that are on Twitch and stuff these, uh, the game early, and they would, like, record themselves playing the games as streamers do and then they would use those clips in the marketing for the game itself and like i know i know that i'm on like the other side of history here or whatever about streaming because i don't like stream i don't I, I respect streamers for what they do and people that play on switch but like i like playing games i don't like watching people play games i understand why people like watching people play games but that's never Never, ever, ever do I sit down on my computer and say, oh, what do I want to do? Oh, I want to open a window in Twitch and watch someone else play a game. Like, that's never something I want to do. Unless it's, like, a really, really, really good friend of mine that happens to be playing something. But that happens, like, once a year, if that. So it's not, like, a thing that happens. Um, I just don't... I didn't like that trend whenever uh, Ubisoft did Far Cry Primal. And they're not the only game that's done this, because a lot of uh, publishers and developers have done it, where, like, they use 
people who are streaming their games in the marketing for the games. And it kind of, you know, turns into the whole argument of like, you know, people, the general public sort of like trusting streamers' opinions on games instead of game journalists' opinions on games. But like the streamers are obviously getting paid to be featured in these ads for the games. Journalists are not getting paid off, even though a lot of idiots in the general public think that journalists are paid off for the reviews, which is dumb and so like it opens up this whole other like umbrella of discussion about it which i don't really want to get into here and the other small thing that i think is a a worse trend in marketing is whenever you have a a launch trailer for a game and launch trailers often have um like blurbs in the trailer from different media outlets that have like you know nice things to say like praise quotes and stuff for the games um and hitman is actually super guilty of this in 20 and 2016 whenever they did uh every time they do a thing they always do this where they will put quotes, pull quotes in their, tra- in their launch trailers for the game, but the pull quote will literally just be one word. And like, like, I don't know how much more you can take something out of context than literally putting like amazing Eurogamer. Like, uh, like, I mean, I could write a review for a game that I give a one out of 10 and I might put the word amazing in there and then they could pull that word out and be like, oh, well, Game Critics said this was amazing. And then you go to the Game Critics site and the game has a one out of 10. I think it's really, really lazy marketing to pull a single word or like two words out of a review and put it in your launch trailer rather than putting like a sentence that actually says something about the game into the pull quote. So it's just, that just really bothers me when it's just like, great, amazing, fun, innovative. And it's like, well, where's the rest of the sentence? Like, I want to know what context this word was used in. And it just, it's just like so lazy and it bothers me. But I mean, I get why they do it because a lot of people are dumb enough to fall for it. If they see that one site said the game was amazing, then they immediately think the game is amazing. But I just think it's really lazy. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. You could say this game is like, you know... Uh, amazing in how incompetent it is, and then they just pick out amazing. <laughs> they don't pick out so, incompetent, that's for sure. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, I, I, so I was thinking about it. I don't have a good trend, but I do have one more bad trend in game marketing, uh, where it's like every game trailer that they want you to watch, like the first 20 to 25 seconds is just like title cards, and then there's like blackness to get you pumped up for what's coming, and then this is like, you know, a little bit of like a like a panning shot. Like I just I literally these days, whenever somebody sends me a trailer, I jump to like like literally second twenty-five, skip the first twenty-five <laughs> seconds. Because it's garbage. It wastes time and I feel like you're I'm never gonna get those seconds back. And like it adds up after a while. Like I don't know how many how many, you know, equivalent virtual years of my life have been lost to like the first 20 seconds of bullshit trailer. So that's <laughs> the other thing. Just get to the point. Like when I want to see a trailer, just show me the fucking game. I don't want to see the story. I don't want to see narrative. I don't want to see anything. Just show me what the game looks like in motion. That's really what I want to see. So the first 20 filler seconds of a trailer is another bad marketing trend, which I really dislike. So hopefully that will answer the question. Sorry, I couldn't come up with anything that was positive. All right. Ready for the next round? Ready. All right, the next one is the weirdest game you've reviewed or been asked to review, and he puts in parentheses, excluding gun dicks, which that's how I know he's been in the show for listening to the show for the long haul, because the gun dicks episode was a long time ago, and that was a wonderful um, episode about the tea room. Um, by that was Robert a good Gang. episode, dude. That was a good episode. I'm glad, we, I'm glad that we talked about that. Yeah, I thought it was lovely. Um, but what do you have? Uh, I have an answer for this for sure. Do you have one? 
Uh, there have been many weird games over the years. I, uh, I'm trying to think, maybe the most recent one. I'm not even going to name drop it because I don't want to give it any attention. I'm not advertising for this <laughs> game at all, but uh, people were putting out a game about pickup artists. Uh, so it was put out by this one douchebag. I mean, I think the whole concept of like modern pickup artists is really repellent and abhorrent. And there's a lot wrong with it. And I hate that it's even a thing. So the fact that somebody would take one of these douchebags and like try to make a game out of it where people are trying to use like learn how to be a better pickup artist and just just everything about it, I find extremely disgusting and re revolting. So I think that's probably the weirdest slash, I don't know, grossest and like most inappropriate game I've been asked to review. We did not. And, and as a matter of fact, we re we declined that review. I told uh, PR that we would not be covering that because I found the subject matter to be really uh, obnoxious and inappropriate. Uh, so we did not cover it at Game Critics. We refused all code. We are not talking to that. Any, uh, not not talking anything about that game at all. I'm not even going to name drop it. But that's probably the most recent thing where I felt like not only was it really weird to be in the role of a pickup artist, but also just the fact that somebody even made made that game and just that has ties to real world stuff, which I find to be extremely gross and disgusting. So. Um, that is probably my answer. What about you, Corey? Well, I have a positive answer, so this will balance well for us. Um, I remember a while back, um, you emailed me out of the blue um, about a game called Archimedes on PC. And oh, I had, yeah. Yeah, I had never heard of it. I had no idea what it was. And you emailed me, and you were like, hey, you know, I think this might be up your alley. What do you think? Do you want to give it a shot? And... I looked it up, and this is one of those weird indie PC games where, like, there's, like, no information. Like, it's not on Steam. I don't think it was on Itch. Uh, like, it's just, like, this weird game that I th I literally think you have to go to, like, the person who made its website and, like, PayPal him, like, $2 or something, and then you get the game. It was really cheap, but it's just, like, weird because it wasn't anywhere. It was just, like, on this guy's site, or at least at the time it was. And it ended up being this game that was like a fourth wall breaking sort of like investigation game where whenever you launch the game, it launches like a faux desktop on your computer. And there's like a chat program in the corner. And the game is about you, this chat popping up on your computer and you have to, it's like somebody who's stuck in this like quarantined lab and you have to chat with them and they kind of like lead you on this trail of clues in order to find stuff out. And the faux desktop has like folders and stuff on it. And there's like mysteries to solve. And the cool thing is that some of the stuff is fourth wall breaking. Cause I like literally had to use like Google maps on my phone at one point and like look up coordinates for something. And I had to like send like an email, like in real life, like an email to this email address. Uh, so that way they could email me back with some information to complete the game. And it was just like a really unusual, like indie PC kind of thing, like the kind of thing that you would never see on consoles or that I don't think would ever come to consoles because it was so kind of out there and fourth wall breaking. Um, and I ended up really liking it. I mean, I wrote a really positive review for it on Game Critics. I thought it was really uh, well done. It was creepy. It was interesting. I liked the investigation aspects of it. Um, again, it's called Archimedes. If anybody's interested, I don't I don't know how well Google will do to get you to the guy's site that has it. But um, if that sounds at all interesting, I would highly recommend it. And I remember it, it being really cheap on the guy's site, too. Like, I literally think it was like 2 or $3 to buy it. Um, you just might have to do a little legwork to track it down. But but I'm glad you brought that one to my attention because it ended up being really out there and really interesting, and I liked it. Right on, and that is a great answer. Yeah, that is a very, very um, esoteric game for sure. Very little known, very little known. All right, next question, sir. 
Um, the next question I'm going to skip over because we actually he asked this question that somebody uh, asked us for the last show, and it is um, any games coming out that you were excited about. But um, at the time, if uh, I'm sure Brian listened to the last show, but we already talked about uh, games we're looking forward to, so we I'm going to skip this one, but it was addressed in our AMA show in the last one. Um, the next uh, couple questions are uh, person specific. So the next one uh, he asks: Has Corey fixed the broken Gundams yet? Because if you recall, a few weeks ago, God, it must have been like maybe even like a month ago, uh, I had mentioned, told a little story on the show about a Roomba. I have one of those Roomba robot vacuums, and it goes off like three or four times a week. We have it scheduled. It got into my photo studio. I have a bookshelf that has, or like a shelf that has all of my Gundams on top of it. The Roomba knocked over one of my big softbox studio lights. It fell onto my Gundams. And I mean, I said this on the show, but I'm going to say it again. The best word I can use to describe it was a massacre because they were like all over the floor. There were several of them that were in half. There were arms missing, hands missing. It was just like shit everywhere. And um, and prep partly in preparation for this question, I actually did clean up my shelf yesterday. I put them back together as much as I could, but I also built a new Gundam. I finished one two nights ago. So after finishing that one to put it on the shelf, I kind of put everything back together. And I had a couple guys over last night, did a photo shoot here last night. And one of the guys that came over is kind of an anime nerd. So I was like, all right, I have to make sure the Gundams are like in good shape because I don't want this like, you know, anime guy to come over and be like, oh, what the fuck's going on with your Gundams? Like, they're, like, scattered all over the shelf. Really so. shabby-ass, like, second-class Gundams. What I kind know, of fan are I you? Know. I cannot. I can't be that guy. So they're not They're not put together as well as they were before. Like, a couple of them are still missing hands. I have, like, some of their weapons in a shelf under the, the storage unit that they're on. But they are all standing. And, I mean, at first glance, to the naked eye, they all look pretty well put together. So... They are back up and running. Um, the next question uh, is for you, Brad, which I'm sure you'll have some input on this, especially because I saw you go to a little expo about it lately via your Twitter. Um, he wants to know, uh, Brad, what attracts you to the tiny home trend? Oh, okay, sure. This is a really good question. Uh, so for people who don't know, tiny homes is kind of a new new thing that's going on um i guess all over the world i suppose but it's also um getting a little bit bigger here in america where you have a house that is usually on wheels or is mobile and it is very very small compared to the average american home here in america we have for generations been ingrained with the idea that bigger better more conspicuous consumption you got to show off your wealth. That's how, kind of how American culture works in large part. And I just we just don't ascribe to that. And I think a lot of people are becoming disillusioned with that because it leads to a lot of cultural problems and a lot of um, consumerism, which is just not good for anyone. So tiny homes are really small. I mean, the smallest tiny home I've ever seen is probably about maybe like 100 square feet, which to me is ridiculously small. It's like that's that's way too small. Uh, but the average tiny home is probably more like 250 to 350 square feet. And it's about maybe, I don't know, like 40-ish or 45 feet long, maybe 50 feet long and about maybe 18-ish. No, 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 that's wrong. Maybe 14-ish feet tall. Uh, and so they can be towed behind uh, trucks or they can be, um, you know, put on the back of a flatbed truck or something like that. And they're mobile. And what, what attracts me to these? Well, uh, first off, I don't believe that it's right that homes cost so much anymore. Uh, they didn't always cost that much. If you talk to old people, and I mean really old people, like they'll be like, oh, yeah, I bought a house after I got my random job and I paid it off and it was no problem. 
and houses are just really out of control in America right now. Especially I live in the Seattle area. It is ridiculous. I live in an apartment. The streets, uh, the house across the street from me, there are a bunch of townhomes. Um, they're almost each a million dollars each. Like I will never be able to afford a million dollar home. Uh, I'm getting priced out of the Seattle area. There's just, I mean, like I was, I was looking at property to buy so we can have a house and a little yard. I mean, $500,000, $750,000. Like I've got a really good job, but I, that's just out of my reach. I just can't afford anything like that. So we want to have a place that we can call our own that we can actually like afford. Um, so tiny homes, it really depends. And there's a really large swing. I mean, I've seen some as cheap as $20,000. I've seen some that are like $150,000. It just really depends. But like the point being, you find something that fits for you and you buy it and then you're done. You don't have a 50 year mortgage. You know, you don't have to pay rent. You just have something that you own. Also, um, I think it all goes with, um, scaling things down, like not being so, uh, not, not using so many resources, not needing so much space. I mean, People, I mean, I meet people who have like multiple rooms in their house that they don't even use. They just have like a chair in it or they just like stack some boxes in it and they're taking up so much space and there's so much uh, electricity being used to heat it. And I just, it just seems really wasteful to me. Um, we've been living in an apartment for a while and our apartment is a pretty good size, but like most of the time we spend all of our time in the same room. And like, if we were to take the room that we spend most of our time in and, like, sever it from the rest of our apartment, it would be like a tiny house. So <laughs> I think we would very easily be able to function in that. You have a bathroom, you have a kitchen, you have bedrooms. I mean, it's all just sized down. But if you get along with the people you live with and you like to be around them, which we do, we spend all of our time together and we hang out with each other all the time, play games together in the same room, watch TV together in the same room. I mean, we spend a lot of time together as a family. Uh, it just seems like a really cool thing that we want to do. Less resources used, less space used. We can actually afford to buy one and then have it be paid off. Um, there, the only issue with tiny homes is that uh, cities are not really designed to take these into account yet. So a lot of zoning laws don't don't know what to do with them. There are some other um, stipulations you have to do. You can't just plop them down anywhere. So that's a little bit of a problem. I think that's going to be solved as time goes on. But... I think it's really great. We, we went to an expo recently. We got to tour tiny houses and they seemed really cool. There's everything you need, no extra wasted space. And you're all with people that you like to be with. If you like to be with people or you can, you know, live by yourself, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and it just seems like a really cool thing to do. We just really, we're just really down. It just seems like a good fit for our lifestyle. On top of that, if I ever have to go um, on assignment for a job, like uh, I was almost, I almost got a contract to go work in um, Massachusetts so it would be nice to like bring our entire house with us rather than having to stay in some shitty hotel room and like leave everything behind. We could just like hitch it up to a truck and drive and our entire house would be in Massachusetts with me. Um, didn't get that contract, but it would have been a cool idea. And that, you know, for the future, if I want to go someplace, bring the whole family, bring the whole house, just like literally move. And it's just like, you know, you just move and that's it. It's pretty simple. So I think there's a lot to be said for tiny homes. I know a lot of people freak out or they have this notion of like, oh God, I couldn't live in less than 4,000 square feet or I need 18 bedrooms and I don't know how to even survive. But honestly, people, I mean, I don't think we really need that much. And I think that when you really get down to it, you can be very comfortable and and have as much as you need and not waste any space and just be very more reasonable about what we're doing with uh, with the resources we're using and the money that it needs. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to sign up for a 50-year mortgage. So anyway, those are, those are my reasons. That all sounds well and good i don't really have any input i mean i don't want to buy a house for a million dollars anyway i the uh, property prices in new orleans are like way 
um, more than they were in Omaha. So it's kind of wild, like seeing what in different parts of the country, like what you get for what amount of money, like for a house in Omaha, like a house house that has like, I don't know, like three or four bedrooms that maybe is like two stories in a basement in the Omaha area. Like you could buy that, but down here that gets you a tiny shotgun house and probably a terrible part of town that doesn't even have air conditioning. So like, I don't know, property is like really expensive in New Orleans and it's also at a premium because like New Orleans, there's so little space here for houses that everything's pretty expensive. Um, so yeah, I'm not into the idea of spending a shitload on a house. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not the breadwinner in the relationship, so I can't really like plan for the future in that way. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, tiny houses seem interesting and it, you've been putting a lot of thought and research into it. So I don't doubt your takes or judgment on it uh, thus far. Oh yeah. If we could find, if we could find a patch of land to put it on right now, which is what we're working on currently, we would already be, we would already putting wheels in motion and getting it done. Um, absolutely. Because I mean, it just seems to me more reasonable 50,000, 60,000 for something. I mean like literally the house across the street from us, it's a fucking piece of shit. Like townhouse built with like really shitty materials, two bedroom, it's like it's like a million dollars, dude. A million fucking dollars. I, there's no way. There's no way. So, anyway, uh, I will update you more on Tiny Homes. Hopefully, uh, I piqued your interest. Check it out. There's a lot of good TV shows on like Hulu or on YouTube you can check out. And get a good idea for what Tiny Homes look like. It's a pretty interesting thing. Not for everybody, but it is just an an alternative to the norm of bigger, 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 bigger all the time, which we <laughs> seem to always do in America. So, all right. Next question. Uh, this is the last one, and I think this is a great question because it has nothing to do with video games, and I like questions that don't have anything to do with video games. Um, best meal you've ever eaten? Best meal I've ever eaten? There's many, many meals. I'm a big food guy. I'm good at cooking. My wife is great at cooking. Uh, we eat a lot of different foods. Uh, too many to even mention, but I'll mention three really quickly. Um, my wife recently made some uh, elotes, which is Mexican street corn. Uh, super delicious. It's like a cob of corn and you make, uh, some cotija cheese, spices, a little bit of butter, a little bit of mayo and you, and some lime and you put it on the corn and it is so fucking good. Like that is a meal <laughs> all to itself. Delicious. So good. Um, I went to a, a nearby hospital, uh, Harborview hospital. Have you ever seen, um, Grey's Anatomy, Corey? Do you know Grey's Anatomy? I'm sure. I know what it is, but I've never watched it. So Harborview is one of the two hospitals that Grey's Anatomy is based off. Harborview and also University of Washington, which is, I work at both of those places. So both of those places combined is Grey's Anatomy's hospital. So <laughs> if you know that hospital, that's that, like literally no joke. That's, those are the two hospitals they're based on. Uh, the, the cafeteria at Harborview is amazing. The chef they have working there, you would think it would be shitty hospital food, but they have had so many delicious meals in that cafeteria. It is ridiculous. He made a turkey loaf one time. That was, oh my God, it was to die for. I mean, it was tender and juicy, nice crust, had some perfectly done green beans, some mashed potatoes. Very simple. Like it wasn't like, you know, high end truffle oil bullshit materials. It was just like a, a basic turkey loaf. But wow, he just fucking nailed it. I mean, he's done like catfish. He's done like pork chops. I mean, oh man, the, the food at the Harborview cafeteria is dope. But the turkey loaf was the best thing I've ever had there. So that was delicious. And one time my mom made me some chili relleno. Uh, which is like uh, green chilies, uh, usually Anaheim chilies, or it could be other kind of chilies, uh, mixed in some kind of batter and has some cheese on top of them. And then you usually fry them, but my mom baked them one time. 
and it was like the most heavenly, delicious, perfect chili relleno I've ever had in my life. It was so, so good. And the interesting twist to that story, I may have told it before, so pardon me if I'm repeating myself, but my mom made that for me one time at my request. She made it. It was the best chili relleno I've ever had in my entire life. And when I asked her for her to make it for me again, she said, I don't remember how to make it. <laughs> so <laughs> I only had it the one time. She was unable to replicate the recipe. I am sad. I always I think about it often that I will never have that chili relleno again. Uh, but, I, but we had that one time. So I guess I guess I should be thankful for that. So those are three. Corey, what about you? Um, I have kind of like a at-home meal and then like an out meal, like an eating out meal. Um, I think um, my mom always cooked a lot growing up and she is really great at cooking. And I think my favorite thing that like we made at home is that, and I think I've talked about this on the show before, for a long stretch, probably whenever I was like, 18 to 25 or 26 um for thanksgiving we always did very traditional thanksgiving with my family you know we did turkey ham uh you know baked potatoes uh casseroles like you know everything pies like all the normal stuff you know that american families tend to have for thanksgiving but for christmas uh for that stretch of time we always did a non-traditional christmas where we all made um, we made sushi and tempura and egg rolls and we made like we all kind of made that ourselves in the kitchen we all kind of like manned a station and we were able to make whatever kind of sushi we wanted because we were the ones making it for ourselves so like for example I made um, tempura battered uh, deep fried sushi uh, for a long time for myself because I like crunch in my sushi and it was kind of an interesting thing to try just like cutting up the rolls and then like dropping each piece like battering each piece with tempura and dropping it in to fry it. And I mean, among other stuff. And that, that is a meal that I look back on very fondly because I really like sushi. I love tempura. Um, I love egg rolls. So it was cool that like for Christmas, for that stretch, we were all able to like kind of come together and make like a non-traditional meal. And a lot of people think that sushi is hard to make and it's really not that hard. You just have to have the right ingredients for it. And like, you know, like the, the seaweed and the right kind of rice and everything, uh, but that's something that I look very fondly back on. I mean, my mom also uh, made a lot of, she makes really excellent eggplant Parmesan um, that I love. So like, that's another thing um, that I love. But the best meal that I ate out um, probably was, there's a pretty fancy restaurant in Omaha called The Gray Plume. And it's in Midtown. And it was either a birthday or an anniversary kind of thing where, like, every once in a while, Patrick and I will just go out and eat, like, a fancy dinner. And I can't remember what it was for, but we went there, and it was the first time I had been there. And it's the kind of place where they only have, like, five things on the menu, and, like, every time you go, they're different because they kind of, like, cater to what they can get at the time, um, you know, based on, like, what kind of meats they can get or stuff like that. I mean, I think their, like, appetizers and stuff are pretty static, and, like, their drinks are pretty static, but the the dinner menu's short, but it has, um, but it, like, rotates a lot, which I think is pretty cool. And whenever we went... I ordered, I think it was lamb or like lamb chops or leg of lamb or some kind of lamb something. And on the menu, instead of it having a price, it was labeled at market price, which sometimes is a thing at fancy restaurants, especially for like seafood and stuff. So, you know, I thought, okay, this is cool. Like it's my birthday or it's our anniversary or whatever it was. And I ordered that because it sounded the best on the menu and I kind of wasn't really paying attention. And whenever the bill came, 
my lamb was like $80 on its own. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. It was so expensive, but let me tell you, I do not feel guilty in the slightest about making Patrick pay for that because a, he chose the restaurant. So he kind of knew what he was getting himself into. And B, it was like a, an occasion dinner but that was one of the best meals I have ever had in my life, and it was worth every penny of its market price on the menu. So if you, anybody's ever in Omaha and you want a fancy meal, the Grey Plume in Midtown is a small little restaurant, but it's really pretty, you know, classy. Um, it's a very, very good spot. I'd highly recommend it. But just be prepared that if you want, like, lamb, you might be paying $80 for your meal. Wow. I... I will never pay $80 for anything. <laughs> I love good food, but I just, I can't. I I don't think I would physically be able to take my debit card out of my wallet. I would just pass out. I would be like, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, all right. All right. So this sounds delicious. So it sounds delicious. I would let you pay for me, but I would not pay for myself. Well, I would let Patrick pay for me, but I would not pay for myself. So we're in the same boat. <laughs> I will let Patrick pay for me. That's fine. So... <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. What else we got? All right, we got a, a few comments from Jez in the UK. Do you want to read these off? Sure, sure, sure. Good old Jez in the UK. He has commented uh, before. Says, oh, so I got this from the uh, Game Critics posting, so we're just reading it out here. Says, good decision to split the shows over two weeks. You're spot on. I miss it when you miss a week. And we were thinking of you, Jez, specifically. <laughs> uh, top 10 of all time was a great question, which I'll take back tonight and ask my wife. I don't have a question, which I feel I should have, only a comment. But it always makes me smile when you say something is dope. Never heard that before, except on previous <laughs> weeks, of course. And it sounds better than cool or rad or fat with a PH. Uh, so glad you like that, Jez. Um, I have a smattering of little terms that I use. Some of them are really old and outdated. Some of them are not. Sometimes I pick up on what the kids are using these days. Sometimes I don't. That was one that was really big for me in the 90s. Um, I commented on this on Game Breakers, but uh, yeah, basically... As far as I know, it's just mostly an American term, or I know it originated in America. Uh, and for me, most popular in the early 90s. Uh, but if you Google it, it will say that the first usage of that word to mean something cool or, or, or neat or something like that uh, was in a rap song from 1981. So I guess it's been around in some form since the early 80s. Uh, although for me, it wasn't until like a decade later that I started using it. And it kind of worked its way into my brain. So... There you go. A little bit of history. And Jez, glad we could hook you up with those uh, episodes over on vacation. Thank you very much for your comment. And is that is at the end of the comments? I think that's it. All right. Corey, do you use dope sometimes? Uh, I never use dope. I'm not opposed to the word, but I never say it. I don't think I'm cool enough to say it. I say rad a lot, which is like very 90s of me to say, but um, I don't say dope ever yeah i don't think i've ever heard you say it outside of this question you definitely seem more of a rad guy that makes sense i to am me. a ra i am a rad guy thanks brad you are a rad guy you bet <laughs> you bet buddy you bet all right i think that's it i think we should probably uh wrap it up unless we got anything else uh i hope not because this show has been a journey and once the banter is attached to it this is going to be like a three and a half hour show so uh, a major major uh, return to form for us here after two weeks or after I guess missing a week or whatever so hopefully listeners you'll appreciate that we came back with a vengeance <laughs> we have we have destroyed you with our three hour podcast and uh, <laughs> now it's time to wrap it up yes this is to make up for the two short shows we put out over the last two weeks but we have nothing else to discuss except for banter later if you want to listen to that it's after the music um, 
But this brings us to the end of the show proper. Uh, if you don't want to listen to us talk about banter, that's fine. We talk about my trip to Atlanta, me photographing cosplayers at MechaCon, Brad talking about some classic movies such as Speed and Tremors um, and some other stuff like that. Um, but you can bail now if you don't want to listen to that. Um, you can also send us any thoughts, comments, feedback. Uh, any I know sometimes we do Q&A episodes like we did last time, but honestly, if you send us questions anytime, we answer them on air anytime. Um, so you can send us questions anytime or any games or show topics or whatever you want to hear us discuss. Um, you can email those to sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com, not sovideogames at gmail.com. It is sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also post comments at the Game Critics site whenever the shows go live on Game Critics itself. Um, you can also send us comments on our SoundCloud page, which that's probably the place where we get the least amount of comments, which is fine. Um, but it is available there, too, because I monitor that. Um, you can find us on Twitter as a collective show. We are at so Video Games on Twitter. Uh, probably the best place to reach us. Also reaching us individually is key. Uh, we are both on Twitter and on Instagram. Both of our usernames are the same on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Brad, would you like to give your social media handles? Sure. You can find me at B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. That, like Corey said, that's the same on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. And I, my handles are the same. They're also my first and last name, uh, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Uh, Brad, do you have any last words before we depart? Uh, not at all, but my wife made me a sandwich and I'm looking right at it and I am literally like salivating because <laughs> I am starving. I am going to tear that sandwich up as soon as we wrap this up. All right. Well, let's shut this down so you can eat. I also am hungry and I need to make food. So uh, we'll be back next week with episode 94. We've got some banter at the end after the music. If you want to listen to that, if not, uh, you can bail now. But for now, until next week, it's the end of another So Video Games podcast, and we will see you next week. But for now, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. how we take kind of take one week off and everything it's like this is the first time we've ever recorded all over again literally learning to podcast from square one (laughs) (sighs) Corey, i am frustrated my friend i I am super super frustrated right now why (laughs) why are you frustrated because i initially was not playing Fortnite at all uh but then my son plays it like a lot and so i wanted to have an opportunity to bond with him and, you know, to play together. And, you know, parents playing something that their kids are into is a good thing. Like, uh, when I was growing up, my dad would only interact with me. Only The only time he would ever do anything with me is if I did something that he wanted to do. And he and I had almost nothing in common, so I never wanted to do his thing. He never wanted to do my thing, and that's how it was. So I don't want to do that. Um, and I like games. My son likes games. We don't have the exact same taste in games because he's way more of a shooter than I am. Uh, but he's like, oh, he's playing Fortnite all the time. And, you know, it wasn't my jam at first, but I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll play some Fortnite with him. It's fine. So I've been getting into it. We've been playing pretty much every day. We've been talking about teamwork and strategy and, you know, helping each other out and so forth and so on. Um, and so I'm putting in uh, so much time in. I'm like, okay, fine. I put all this time in. I want to w- like, I want to win like at least once or twice because I feel like I've been playing a lot and 
I can consistently, like, like literally every time, top 10. No problem. Top 10 every time. Often, top five. No problem. I cannot win. I cannot win this game because I'll tell you why. My stealth skills, 100% on point. You cannot find me. You will not see me in the field. I'm great at sneaking around. I'm great at hiding. And like I said, like like top five basically every single day. No problem. I can't hit anything to save my life. And shooting is a very big part of Fortnite. I'm like, I can see people coming and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get you. And unless they are turned away and I am 100% behind their back, I can't kill anybody. Like, <laughs> it, it literally just happened. I was playing. I was top three, me and two other people. I see the other guy coming from a mile away. Totally spot him. I'm like, all right, I got you. I got the drop on you. Start shooting. I, like, nail him, like, graze him, like, once. He immediately spots me because I shot. And then kills me. Like, just, I can't kill him fast enough. And I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> I don't, I is it my old man reflexes? Is my eyesight that bad? Is it just that the I'm not practicing enough? Like, what the fuck? It's, it's really, really frustrating to get so close, like top 10, top 5 every single day, and never be able to win the game. Like, it's just like constant, like, uh, it's, it's really frustrating, man. I, <clears throat> I don't know what to say. I have never played Fortnite, so I can offer absolutely no tips. But, I mean, when you play a shooter... Aiming and shooting is definitely a big part of the experience. <laughs> it's pretty fucking fundamental. I agree. And I just, it's just weird because every time I get into a shoot off with somebody or stand off or something, they always get me. And it's like, even when I have a good gun, because sometimes you have like a shittier gun or something. I get that. No problem. But like, even when I've got like a real good gun, uh, I just don't know what it is, man. Like I fire, they fire and I'm dead. Like every single time, like I almost never win. And I, I don't know if I'm missing some part of the strategy or is there something wrong with how I'm playing or like, I just, I don't get it, man. Cause I've played games for like 35 or whatever, 40 fucking years. And it seems like I would be at least okay. Like I'd be at least able to kill a dude or two here or there. And I just, Oh man, I cannot get the job done. And it's just, Oh, uh, frustrating. Well, I think, I think you're better than just okay at the game. If you're consistently making it to the top five, then that's probably better than okay. Just maybe not like excellent or, you know, superb, but um, I don't know. I am not. Are you playing on PS4? I, I was playing on PS4 <laughs> and I was talking to somebody about it. I'm primarily playing on PS4 because my son plays on PS4 and that's where I want to play with him. And also, you might not know this, but um, so Fortnite is like totally free, but they also sell this thing called the Battle Pass. So, you know, if you want to kick them a couple bucks, I think it costs like 20 bucks. And it's like basically like a season pass where if you play every time you do stuff, you get you get like unlock skins, unlock little emotes and stuff. None of it affects how you play. Like it's all just cosmetic. But, you know, you know, just, you just accumulate a bunch of stuff. So that's where I play the most. But somebody was telling me last night that people can plug in a mouse and keyboard on ps4 and i'm like oh okay so maybe that's it maybe people maybe like those mouse and keyboard pros are what's the difference because if i'm just using a controller and you know i i don't know that i necessarily believe it but people often say that mouse and keyboard is you know far superior to controller so i'm like well maybe maybe that's it i mean maybe that's my problem so i jump over to switch and people have told me that playing on switch is like playing on easy mode because people on switch suck so i'm like okay i don't know if that's true or not i don't think that's probably true for everybody on switch but that's that's the vibe people are telling me so I jump over to Switch. I'm in top three, and, like, still, I can't kill anybody. And I'm like, so it's got to be me. Like, it's got, I am the common denominator here. 
I was like, I should be able to kill somebody, so I don't know what's going on. Fortnite, Fortnite experts, if you're listening to this podcast and you've got some advice for, for dear old Brad here, tell me tell me how to up my game. Tell me how I can win one. Because <laughs> honestly, dude, I would just like to win once. I don't need to win every time. I don't need to constantly be in the top ten. I just want one time. One time, and I'd be like, good, I'm fine. I can just play this and not ever worry about it again and just enjoy it. But it's kind of getting under my skin that I can't even win one time. It's bugging me. What is going on? Did Sony uh, cave on the PS4 versus Switch Fortnite thing? Or what What came out of that if you're playing it on both systems? They did not cave at all. They oh. still are staying strong. So all of my shit, all of my favorite skins and stuff is still on PS4. Um, when I jumped over to Switch, I just joined up with like a rando generic account. I had none of my stuff. It w- I just had like the default skin and had to make up some bogus name to, to start a game. Because you don't have to join... Um, you don't have to join Epic to play that. Uh, but hopefully if they get that stick out of their ass, they will let people jump back and forth between platforms because I think that would really be optimal. And I think I probably would still play it on PS4 the most. It's not like everybody would suddenly abandon PS4 and go only to PC or something <laughs> or only to Switch. I mean, I think a lot of people would still be on PS4. It's where your friends are, and you've probably got a comfortable setup if that's where you started playing. So, you know, I, I think they're being really stupid about it. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't bring any of my stuff over. It was just a generic, shitty account. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so um, anyway, that's my frustration. I just, like, I just, ugh, it sucks to, like, see somebody and just know. I just know they're going to kill me. Like, I just, <laughs> I just like, I have no hope, dude. It's terrible. Well, one day, you know, every dog has his day. So one of these days you'll get number one and then you can just never, you can go out on a high note and never play the game ever again after that. Seriously, dude. I mean, I, <laughs> I probably would still play with my son, but like it wouldn't ever bother me again. Cause I would like, if I could do it once, that's fine. I'm good. I don't need to be at the top. I don't need to be on the leaderboards. I don't need bragging rights. I just want to say that I did it once, just, just once. So anyway. Anyway, dude, we haven't talked for a couple of weeks. Uh, it feels like it's been forever. What have you? What have you been up to? Where? Where the hell did you go? Well, I was in <clears throat> Atlanta. I'm trying to sequence everything that I did recently because I went to the MechaCon Anime Convention. Did we talk about that yet? The last time we talked, you were about to go, and I saw some of your pictures. You had a bunch of cool Spider-Man pictures. Mm-hmm. You had um, Harley Quinn, I think, was in one of your pictures. You I had did. Um, there was another one that um, that Egyptian, vaguely Egyptian chick from Fire Emblem. I forget what her name was, like oh. Far, Farja. Yeah, Farja, yeah, yeah. I think. Yep. Uh, she's everybody's, you know, favorite wank material, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I saw your pictures, so pretty cool. But so you, but you hadn't gone at the last time we talked. So what, how did MechaCon go? Okay, well I went because I keep like even though this all happened within the past three weeks, I can't. I keep forgetting if I went to MechaCon and then because I went to Atlanta, which is kind of the main thing I want to talk about. Like I can't remember if I did MechaCon first and then Atlanta, or Atlanta first and then MechaCon. But it was MechaCon was the weekend before Atlanta, so that was there's two big uh, sort of like gaming slash anime slash whatever you want to call them conventions in the New Orleans area, one of which is called MechaCon, and it's every July here, which I did last year, and I talked about it last year whenever I went. And the other one is called Wizard World, and Wizard World happens at the end of January, I think. At least it was this year at the end of January, but it's probably around the same time every year. And 
Um, they're pretty, they're in different spots in the city. Like MechaCon is downtown in like a Hyatt uh, hotel, I think. And Wizard World is at like an actual convention center. Like it's not in a hotel or like, you know, a place where you can stay. It's like just like a big convention center. And, but I like both of them. They're both cool um, cons. I mean, they're pretty similar among the two of them. You know, there's like a bunch of vendors for stuff to buy and there's people who make, you know, paintings and cosplay drawings and stuff like that. And there's guests that they have and panels. I think Wizard World tends to have more high profile guests because they do a lot of just like photo ops and not really anything else because they had like like Stan Lee was at the last Wizard World here and like a couple of the people from the Gotham TV show and uh, Jason Momoa who plays Aquaman like he was here last year but Wizard were or, but MechaCon which I went to is more like anime focused and they have panels at MechaCon and I don't think they have panels at Wizard World, or they only have like a handful of panels. No, 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 no. I'm getting this confused. They have panels at Wizard World. Um, I just don't think they're as good as the MechaCon panels. Because this year at MechaCon, they had um, Mary McGlynn was there who voices, um, God, she voices like everybody. She voices uh, uh, Motoko Kusanagi and Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, which was the TV series. She voiced one of the main characters in Cowboy Bebop. Um, She's done a lot of stuff, but she was there. Also, Symmetra's voice actor was there, and I went and saw one of her panels whenever I was at MechaCon, and she was very cool in real life. I cannot remember her name right now to save my life, um, but she was super cool. She was really um, charismatic and had some interesting things to say about like acting in the age of social media and you know how she uses social media. That was kind of like her panel topic, although it was mostly just a Q&A. Um, but I basically just go and take a lot of photographs. Like the cool thing about this year was um, the there's a group called the Spidey Team, which is spread out between Louisiana and Texas for the most part. And it's like a group of people who do Spider-Man cosplay. There's probably like 10 of them or so. And they just kind of make the rounds at cons in the area. And they actually got me a pass this year because a few of their people ended up not coming. So I didn't have to pay to go, which was amazing. So I basically just in return kind of followed them around and shot them a lot. And I feel really fortunate to be like their sort of like New Orleans on-call photographer um, because it kind of happened very... I don't know by happenstance, like last year at MechaCon, I met them and I just photographed them kind of on a whim. And then the following day I saw them, I think it was on the Sunday of MechaCon and I photographed them a little bit more and was just kind of talking to them and chatting. And then at Wizard World, I, they had an actual booth at Wizard World in January and I went and just kind of, cause we had been established at that point and I hung around at their booth a lot and just took a lot of pictures. They had a backdrop and stuff and there were a lot of people that came by for pictures and then this time around, like, after seeing them twice, they definitely kind of, like, knew what I was made of. And, you know, I told them that I wanted to photograph them, of course, because they're all great and I like them. And they gave me a pass. So that was really nice. So I was able to go for free. And I did a whopping two paid shoots because I'm a high roller over here getting paid left Whoa. and right to do. I know. So um, I did a couple paid shoots, which was cool because that basically covered like the parking because parking downtown is pretty expensive. So like I didn't come out, you know, like a millionaire or anything out of MechaCon, but I got in for free and I did enough paid shoots to cover like parking and maybe a little bit extra. So that was kind of nice, like because last year I paid to go on my own and the weekend pass was like 
$65 or something. Like, it's not stupid expensive, but it's just, like, a little bit. Um, and then, you know, paying to park downtown, it's, like, $30 a day or, you know, something like that, depending on how many hours you spend. So, um, like, last year I spent a lot – not a lot, but I spent a fair amount to just to go and take pictures because I didn't charge anyone for anything. So this year it was nice because I kind of broke even on it. Um, but I didn't really plan on talking about MechaCon a lot because there's not really a lot to say other than I photographed a lot of um, spider, Spider-Mans, Spider-Men, Spider's-Men um, while I was there, Sp among other people. Spider's-Men, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do want to talk about Atlanta a little bit. But is there anything like pressing about MechaCon you have questions or comments on? I don't want to like move topics without giving you a chance to say anything. No, no, I'm just, uh, I mean, I, I've been to many cons and so I kind of can imagine what it's like. And, uh, no, I mean, I, your shots were cool and I, it's, I didn't realize there was like a Spidey team. I mean, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Um, I know of like those dudes that go around in the Star Wars uniforms, they show up at like every con. I know they have like a, a name, like they're like the 41st Legion or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting that wrong. <laughs> no disrespect to you guys because you're very cool. Uh, but I had never heard of a Spidey team. So that's pretty cool. Were there other groups or teams or associations of uh superhero gatherings of any kind of of more than just the spider-man um i don't know i'm actually not sure i'm sure there were i just maybe didn't realize it because some people come in groups and they do like it'll be like three to five people that do kind of like all like final fantasy cosplay or all like star wars cosplayer or something like that um and a lot of individual cosplayers have business cards that they hand out whenever you know, they're oh, kind really? of like, yeah, like it's kind of weird, um, but it's cool. I mean, because they are, I mean, they're like models kind of like maybe running their own business in a way. Um, so sometimes they have business cards. Like if I photograph them, because there's a lot of people that I just stop and I'm like, oh, hey, I like your cosplay. Can I photograph you? And then spend, you know, a few minutes photographing them and then they'll hand me their business card, which is kind of interesting because like, I don't know. I mean, I support that. I, I enjoy that people have business cards, but like, I feel like it's kind of a little bit weird for cosplayers to have business cards but i mean they're trying to drive people to their social media pages and stuff like that so it makes perfect sense um yeah uh, i mean dude it, it makes total sense everybody's got a media presence everybody is trying to make their own way everybody is you know i mean it's new things i mean i never would have thought of that when i was coming up but i mean it makes total sense because i mean uh, i mean when i go places i have business cards and why wouldn't why wouldn't you if you were a cosplayer i mean if, if you're cool you're good at making costumes if you have a you know good shtick or whatever you got a group i mean yeah why not i mean why not get paid doing that rather than you know slinging burgers in at mickey d's or whatever <laughs> else that does not pay the bills these days so i mean yeah i mean it, I, it hadn't occurred to me but then i'd say it. i mean of course of course they would why wouldn't they yeah and plus like a lot of cosplayers now that i think about it they sell prints of themselves to people so like you know that i guess that's kind of their business angle to start with um is selling prints and whatever contract they have between their photographers is up to them. But I, I don't think I've ever like no, no cosplayer that I've shot has ever been like, Oh, can I sell these as prints? Because that would be, I think a difficult conversation for me to navigate. Cause I'd have to come up with some kind of probably deal where like I get X percent of whatever they sell or whatnot. But that I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Um, but yeah, MechaCon, I went. It was fun. I like it. Um, I like the Spidey team a lot, and I feel fortunate that I'm sort of like becoming friends with them. There's a dude who lives in uh, Houston, Texas, and he goes by the Houston Spider, and he actually went viral last year during the hurricane and that damaged the Houston area because he went to um, 
like shelters and like stadiums and places where people were gathering who were forced out of their homes because of the hurricane. And he went in his Spider-Man suit and was like giving toys to kids and just kind of cheering them up. And he was on like, um, they showed clips of him on like good morning America. And like, there was like a Buzzfeed article about him. So he kind of like made it viral for a little while, which was really cool. And, um, and so, and he's part of the Spidey team. So it's really nice to see him because he is, um, I don't see him off. I mean, I guess I don't really see any of them often because they mostly live in Lafayette, which is like three hours away. But he lives in Houston, which is like six hours away. Although, Corey, uh, to be honest, maybe you do see them often and don't know it because they all have secret identities. Well, the what I was getting to, which I think is amazing, is that the guy who cosplays as the Houston Spider, he, whenever they're at cons, he never, ever takes his mask off because he, like, he actually, like, doesn't want people to know who he is which is kind of fascinating because the other guys you know they'll walk around for 30 minutes they'll take their mask off for a little while but they still have their like bodysuit on and they kind of like don't really care like you know if people know who they are or whatever but the houston spider he always he's always fully suited always mask on like never and like at the end of the last day of the con he'll walk around with no costume on at all so like no spider-man gear or anything but he, I don't know, it's just cool the way he treats his identity because he has, like, his Houston Spider social media pages, but he doesn't post a lot of really, like, his face. Like, he does a lot of posts where it'll be, like, the lower half of his face is showing a little bit, but, like, he won't be, like, totally unmasked. And it's just cool because he's, like, I don't know, it's, like, actually Spider-Man. Like, you don't know his name. You don't know, like, his first and last name. You don't really know where he lives. You don't really know anything about him, but... He just presents himself as Spider-Man all the time on a social media page. And um, and I like him a lot, I guess, is what I'm getting to, is that he's probably, like, my favorite in the group. And, like, I I know his real name, but I'm not going to tell people what his real name is. Um, but I like the way he just presents himself in that way. And he's always, like, costumed and really committed. And I don't know, he's just a really good guy. Um, but that's that's enough about Mike Khan. I didn't I wasn't planning on talking about it forever, but I kind of accidentally did. Um what I do want to talk about is going to Atlanta. Um, I went to Atlanta last weekend, which is part of the reason why we couldn't record uh, because I was gone for from like Wednesday to Sunday, um, not the week that just passed, but the week before. And we had been planning this parkour trip. It was me and some parkour dudes went because we went to Atlanta in January because a lot of the, there's like a group of, I, I might've mentioned this on the show before, but Atlanta is like the stuntman capital of the world because they, uh, movies. Really? Why? Oh, you know, that's true. They do film a lot in Atlanta, huh? Yeah. Cause like Marvel films, like <clears throat> a shitload of stuff in Atlanta. Cause like Spider-Man homecoming was filmed almost entirely in Atlanta and they have like movie studios out there. And, um, like the walking dead is filmed around Atlanta. And I think, um, what the spinoff show fear the walking dead is out there. And, um, I think, I might be wrong about this, but I want to say that Black Lightning is filmed there, but I might be wrong about that because um, it might be filmed in Canada where The Flash is filmed. Um, but they, there's a, basically like an older generation of parkour dudes from, from New Orleans who kind of all moved to Atlanta together like several years ago. This was like before my time here. And so they all live in this stunt house up there, which is super cool because it's like a three-story house with a basement and... They, it's just like a group of stunt people who have been friends for a long time, uh, most of whom grew up in New Orleans and they live there and they do like they're all like legit like stunt doubles. Like um, a, a few of the guys in the house works like on Black Panther. So they like film Black Panther for a while as extras in that. And 
one of the guys does Black Lightning and um, they just like do various gigs like NCIS New Orleans, which films obviously in New Orleans. Like one of the guys that lives there, I think, is the double for one of the leads on that show. So he's in New Orleans like all the time uh, working on NCIS, which is really cool. Uh, but the cool thing about the house is that we basically can go there like anytime we want and just crash at the house because usually like there's somebody out on, on work in some part of the country. So like it frees up their bed or we can just sleep. They have like a little uh, studio in the basement that's kind of like a stunt studio with like mats and like fake swords and a punching bag and like crash pads and stuff. So like Ian slept on like the crash mats downstairs the whole time, which is kind of funny, but they because they have space for it, which is great. Um so we stayed there and we basically just did a bunch of parkour and I took a shitload of photos the whole time we were there. Um, I We almost canceled the trip, which was kind of wild because we had been planning it for for months. Like Ian has the hardest time um, getting time off of work. So he had asked off like several weeks in advance and had planned it for the first week of August. And like the day we were going to leave, I was checking the weather. I was at work because we left on Wednesday night and it was like supposed to, it, there was like an 80% chance of rain in Atlanta, like the entire time we were going to be there. And so I texted them and I was like, you know, I was like, I don't want to be that guy, but I just want to let you guys know that if we want to call this trip off, cause it's going to be raining the whole time we're there, like that's fine with me. But also if you guys want to go, like I'm still game. I understand. So it was kind of like a half and half split. Like two of us were like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't go. And then Ian was like, well, I can't get off work. Uh, it's really hard. So we went anyway. And I'm really glad we did because it ended up being really beautiful. Like Friday, Saturday and Sunday, it was like sunny and perfect and beautiful outside. So the big chance of rain kind of blew over, although it was rainy like Wednesday and Thursday whenever we got there. But um, I had a lot of fun. I shot a lot of parkour. I met a lot of new people. There was a guy from like... Um, I think it was like the Dominican Republic and he, he's kind of like just traveling America on a parkour trip and he happened to be in Atlanta while we were there. So it was really nice to meet him and just be able to be there at the same time as him and photograph him and everything. And, um, also we went out drinking with the parkour guys there, which was a lot of fun because it's hard to get the guys in New Orleans to go out drinking because a lot of them don't drink often. But whenever we were there, we went out to a bar and, um, and I met, there's a guy there named Julian, who's kind of like a leader of one of the parkour groups out there. And I really liked Julian a lot and had seen him the last time we went to Atlanta and I met his girlfriend this time around. And it, there's always like, I think you'll understand what I mean whenever I say this, there's always like that sticky situation whenever you're friends with somebody and you have not met their partner and then you meet their partner and you always just like assume they're going to be lame or like they're going to be like a wet blanket or like they're not going to be a very cool person like do you ever have that <laughs> okay so let's back this up a little bit why do you assume that if you like somebody and you think they're cool why do you assume their partner's going to be uh, a lame because usually they are <laughs> <laughs> it's just like i i find often and maybe this speaks to my taste of people that i hang out with sometimes that i'll meet somebody and I'll like them and then like I'll meet their partner down the line. And I mean, they don't I'm not saying that they're like an awful person, but they always just end up being like not very interesting or like I guess there's kind of like a this is going to sound sexist and I'm sorry that it's going to sound this way. But um, like Julian had mentioned to me that like there's always like the quote unquote like parkour girlfriend, like the girlfriend of the group where it's like you have all the guys who do parkour and then one of them has a girlfriend that's always like 
like, oh, like kind of like nagging the group about like about being dangerous or like not being responsible or something like that. And so I was kind of like internally prepping for Julian's girlfriend to be like super lame or for her to be like boring. And this goes both ways too. Like I've been friends with plenty of women who I've met their boyfriends and I'm just like, like this, like this guy, like this is the guy that you're with. But, um, but the good news is that I met her at the bar and she was absolutely phenomenal. And I was so happy to meet her. Like we hit it off very quickly and she was so funny and so smart. And she just was very, hilarious and she freaking roasted Ian so hard Uh, she made a joke to him about his inability to find the clit and I laughed for like 30 minutes at the dinner table it was that is not the kind of joke you want to have somebody busting out in front of your friends (laughs) Jesus man it was so good like I as soon as she made that joke to Ian I took I pulled Julian aside and told him he needed to propose to her immediately because she's a keeper for life um but I had I had a good time. Atlanta was really fun. I'm glad that I went. Um, I also taught my friend Levi how to drive a stick shift on the way home because we all got drunk at the bar and Levi did not. And we didn't know what we were going to do to get home. And Levi learned how to drive my car real quick in that scenario, which he did a very good job of getting us home. And that was uh, kind of hilarious. But yeah, I had a good time. I've had a very eventful past two weeks and it feels nice to be home and be settled back into my normal routine excellent well welcome back welcome back glad to have you back um sounds like a very fun and worthwhile uh trip sounds like a good time it was a good time for for the most part it was a good time but um i'll talk about some other stuff in the show show that's related to video games um but we can we can move on i'm done talking about atlanta all right, cool. Um, so I don't have a whole lot to say. I mean, I guess first off, I do want to say that, guys, it's not that hard. If you can't find it, you got some serious problems. I'll just throw that out there. It's <laughs> it's kind of a must. It's kind of square one. Uh, other than that, <laughs> uh, I mean, nothing, nothing. You were gone, and so I was just working a lot and uh, playing Fortnite with my son, which we discussed already, and... We, and we, we did watch some TV and stuff. I mean, I had I played a bunch of games, which we'll talk about. And I'll keep it short, too, because I have a feeling we're going to need most of that time for the actual show show. Um, we have Renaissance Fair coming up next weekend, so I'll probably be talking about that next time. Uh, otherwise, we've just been kind of um, watching some movies. My son, my youngest son, is now nine, and he is very curious about some of the classics that I talk about. And, I you know, I watch a lot of sci-fi. I watch a lot of horror movies and stuff like that. And a lot of it has been off limits for him um, growing up, but he's very curious and he's very mature for his age and he can handle a lot of stuff and he just wants to know. And he knows that I've watched some of these with uh, his older brother. So he wants, you know, a piece of that action as well. So we started, me and the wife were talking about it and we figured it was maybe time to watch a couple of the more low key kind of, I don't want to say like adult movies because that sounds too, the the wrong (laughs) connotation, but you know, movies that you generally wouldn't let a kid watch. So we started off, what do we watch? We watched Speed with Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. I'm sure you've seen that. Have you seen Speed? I have. It's been decades, but I have seen it. I will tell you, man, that movie holds up. I wasn't sure if it was going to hold up. That movie is still a really good movie. (laughs) Uh, He was very into it, like really action packed. I mean, he was tense when the 
the bot. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure most people know, but if you don't know, it's uh, Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock. Uh, there's like a bomber. He's got a bomb on a bus, and the bus will explode if it goes less than 60 miles an hour. So they, the whole movie is about like keeping the bus in motion, and all this crazy shit happens. Super good. We really enjoyed that. Totally held up. Uh, other than that, we watched. Tremors. Have you seen Tremors? The oh first my god! One? Yes, Tremors is a classic. It is a true classic. I hadn't seen it in many, many years, but I remembered really liking it a lot. And it, I, I don't know, like last time, not last time, maybe the show before the last show, we talked about Cast a Deadly Spell, right, with Fred Ward. Yes. Hold on. Is this the one with? Uh, oh my God, what's her name? I almost said Susan Sarandon, but that's not her name. Um, oh, damn it. Who's who's in this? Is Julianne this Moore. Julianne Moore. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's who I was thinking of, yes. Yeah, so we talked about Cast a Deadly Spell. That was the movie that got me into like urban fantasy, and Fred Ward was in that, and I love Fred Ward. Uh, he's like one of the really most underappreciated like kind of actors of that uh, like late 80s um, kind of generation he's also in tremors he is like you know one of the lead guys him and kevin bacon share the spotlight in tremors and we watched it and he was a little bit scared in the beginning because there's like one scene that's a little bit of a jump scare uh but past that we got uh through that and he really loved it a lot and it's so good it is such a good movie um for people that don't know i'm sure i mean how do you not know what tremors is but it's about <laughs> these guys are living in this uh, really out of the way podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden these giant like underground worms show up and they start eating the people in town. And so these guys have to survive and it's funny and it's um, full of action. And I just, I love the actors and I think the premise is pretty cool and the whole thing is good. And actually I, I didn't realize this before, but uh, Gail Ann Hurd was the producer and we talked about Gail Ann Hurd last time. She makes so many of the movies that I really love and that I didn't even realize it because, you know, back in the the olden times, I wasn't really thinking about directors or producers or anything like that. I mean, I would recognize an actor. I would know, like, oh, it's that guy or that girl. But I wouldn't know, like, the production team. But now that I'm older and I, I'm curious about that stuff, her name pops up so often in a lot of the stuff that I love. I really, I need to, like, get, like, a, a filmography of hers to find out everything that she's done. Because I would be really curious to see other works that she's done. I mean, I'm guessing I probably have seen most of them just because I like her stuff so much. But I got to do some research on her. So I'm going to do that. Uh, but Tremors, super, 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 super good. Really holds up. Uh, otherwise, a little bit of sad news uh, in terms of TV. You know, I've mentioned um, Face Off before, correct? Like the makeup, not reality, kind of kind of reality show, kind of a competition, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you, we've talked about it before. I love Face Off. Uh, and unfortunately, it actually just ended. The entire series has ended. Oh. 13th, 13th season. Um, there wasn't a lot of fanfare about it. They didn't really mention it very much. And the only reason I knew was because I follow the host um, on Twitter. And so she was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is the last season. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is the last season. What is what? I mean, we That is like one of our core family shows. Like We always get together and watch that. We've watched literally every episode. We always look forward to it. And I, I'm i kind of shocked that it's over. Like, I can't believe it's over. I mean, everybody that watches it loves it. And I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about it. So very, very sad to see that this was the final season. Um, I mean, it was a good season. Maybe not their best season, but it was okay. And we were kind of hoping that when they got to the end, they would do like maybe a retrospective or like a send off or something. But no, it just ended and that was it. Like... No, no special ceremony, no thanks to the fans. There was no nothing. 
And there was even a fan petition going around on the internet, which I signed to say, hey, you know, we still have a lot of fans. We still want to watch this. I think it got like, I want to say 200,000 signatures, which I, you know, I don't know how that compares to other fan petitions, but I mean, that seems like a pretty good number. And if, you've got to assume that if you can get 200,000 people to sign, that there's probably an equal or larger number out there who have never heard of a petition or just didn't want to sign it for whatever reason. So there, there's got to be way more people than just the people who signed. I mean, I'm assuming these are the hardest of the hardcore fans. Uh, so I just, I don't know why they ended it. Maybe it was getting hard to find people to be on the show or maybe the hosts wanted to move on to something. I mean, I don't, they didn't explain why it ended. They didn't say anything about it. I just know that it ended and I was really sad and I was kind of hoping that they do more of a goodbye to everybody, but nope. Last episode, the end. Bye. Bye. And that was it. Oh, uh, so it's kind sad. of a, yeah, kind of a letdown, man. Kind of a letdown. So little, little torn up about that, but, uh, I guess we can always go back and rewatch the old episodes, I suppose, but. Uh, that's about it. I, I don't really have a whole lot of banter um, this time around, man. But I, what I do have is I have 85 million games to talk about. And oh I'm God. looking at the script being like, surprise. holy shit. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to move on to the show unless you've got anything that you are dying to talk about. Um, let me think long and hard about this. Um, I feel like there's a dick joke there. Mm, could be, could be. Could be, could be. Um, People at home, fill in your own dick joke, please. Mm, please insert your dick uh, jokes. Oh, yeah. shit. There it is. Yep. There it is. We got there. We got insert there. Insert them. Um, All right. I don't know. I feel like I... Fuck, man. I feel like I have important things to say, but I really probably don't, which is like going to be the <laughs> title of the Lifetime movie that's made after my life. But <laughs> Corey Motley, he had stuff to say, but really he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is it um yeah i actually i think i'm good um i don't think i have anything else i know as soon as we hit stop and take our post banter pee break i'm gonna think of like a hundred things that i need to say but i'm just gonna call it right here all right well you know we're playing it fast and loose today we've got a huge show if you want to just uh bring up some banter in the middle of the show and it's not that big a deal i say go for it whatever <laughs> we got a lot to catch up on and I, I although it was really cool and i'm really glad that we did those two episodes like it wasn't quite the same and i was like oh man like you know i really look forward to having that weekly like mental dump of like all the stuff that accumulates and i just have like so much right now so i mean i guess we're just gonna like vomit a bunch of stuff in the main episode and if you want to vomit a little extra banter who cares whatever i I want you to know speaking of doing the two shows back to back um whenever i posted the ama episode or the q a episode the other day um i want you to know i because i had put it on soundcloud and but had just put it as private so that nobody could hear it like uh, before i even left for atlanta and i unlocked that show and tweeted about it while sitting with my parkour friends at a steak and shake in like BFE Alabama somewhere, um, eating dinner on the drive back from Atlanta. And I was like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity to tweet the show out. So it was like late Sunday night, sitting at a steak and shake, eating food with my friends on the way back from Atlanta. And I had to download a separate SoundCloud app because they have a SoundCloud app for like listening. And they have a SoundCloud app for creators, which I didn't know that was a thing. So I like got on the original SoundCloud app and I kept seeing the show and I couldn't figure out how to do the settings on it or unlock it. And I was like, what the fuck? This is like the least user-friendly thing ever. And in some weird roundabout way, like this thing popped up that was like, 
oh, do you want SoundCloud Pulse, which is like the creator's app? So I had to download a separate app and sign in again just to like manage our stuff on it. And then finally, I was able to unlock the show and make it so that people could listen to it and then write a quick tweet about it in the middle of a steak and shake in Alabama. So that's what happened there. Well, two things. Number one, Steak and Shake is delicious. Did oh you have good God. food? Because it's really good, isn't yes. it? Yes. Uh, yeah, because, okay, Steak and Shake. All right, let's break this down for a second. I love Steak and Shake to death. The double guacamole steak burger and fry meal is everything and more to me. Whenever Patrick and I moved to Omaha, one of the first things I did was look up to see if there was a Steak and Shake in the area. And I get on Google Maps, I type in Steak and Shake, I press Enter, and it, like, shifts the little arrow over to a Steak and Shake, Lo and behold, it says Steak and Shake, in parentheses, closed. There was no Steak and Shake in Omaha whenever we lived there for three years. So we fuck moved Omaha, to, then. I know, Garbage right? Town. Like, what the fuck is that? So, Because there were two Steak and Shakes in my college town where I, where I lived previously in Columbia, Missouri. There were no, none in Omaha. And then we moved to New Orleans. And so, you know, down the line, I looked up Steak and Shakes in New Orleans. There is one in New Orleans, but it is on the North Shore, which means if I want to eat there, I have to drive an hour over the Lake Pontchartrain Bridge, which is one of the two longest bridges over water in the world to get to the North Shore to eat at that Steak and Shake because for some stupid reason, there's not a Steak and Shake like in New Orleans proper. It's like wow. an hour north of the city. It's so Oh dumb. my God. Oh, geez, geez. That is ridiculous. Wow. Well, I, I like it a lot. I recommend people go check it out. That's really uh, a good place to go. We have one that's downtown, but it's kind of a pain in the ass to get to. But when I am nearby, I probably will stop in. I mean, I'm, it's kind of good that it's not closer because then I probably would go to it more often. But um, Oh, you know, kind of related in fast food news. I just went to my very first Sonic ever. Is there, do you have Sonic where you are? Oh, yeah. I grew up with Sonic. That was like... We had a Sonic in my hometown, which is weird because there was like nothing in my hometown. And that was like where a lot of people worked at when they turned, I think that you could get hired there at 15 or maybe it was 16 in uh, like high school. And so that was a lot of people. I mean, I say a lot. I mean, they probably only employ like 20 people at a time, but I knew a handful of people who flipped burgers there or did like the car side service. Yeah. I haven't eaten there in ages, but I, yeah, I grew up with them. No, I had never, I had never been to one. And we have this weird thing in Seattle where like we get these advertisements from like surrounding counties or something, but like those restaurants are not actually in <laughs> Seattle. So we always get these um, commercials for like uh, Long John Silver's and also for Sonic. And like neither of those things are anywhere near <laughs> Seattle. So uh, we were driving by and I'm like, oh, fuck, look, it's a Sonic. And my wife's like, oh, God, I've never seen one. I'm like, I know, me neither. So let's go check it out. <laughs> so, like, we pull in, and I didn't know what the deal was. I'm like, oh, it's a drive-in. Cool. And so we pull in, and uh, we had a drive-in. I mean, the food was fine. I, it wasn't, like, it wasn't amazing or anything. I mean, it wasn't Steak and Shake. But, I mean, it was fine. And it was, I mean, the novelty of, like, I don't know. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the United States. But drive-ins are really not a thing around here in Seattle anymore. I haven't seen one in quite some time. So, the novelty of a drive-in is kind of neat. Dude, um, should, it would have been. Should we explain what a drive-in is in case people don't I mean, know I, what that is? Yeah, I suppose so. Maybe that's just an American. It's probably an American <laughs> thing, I would guess. So a drive-in is, I guess, it started in the fifties, and you would have a restaurant, and then you would have multiple. Like your your restaurant would be surrounded by, um, you know, like parking spaces, but they weren't just to park. Like you would pull in, 
And then a waiter or waitress would come out and they would take your order as you sat in your car. So this is not a drive through Like, you're not you're not driving around through the drive through window. You would park in the parking lot and somebody would come out and say, hey, what can I get you? And then they would go back in. And often at that time, they were wearing roller skates. That was, like, mm, the big thing. Yeah. Um, before my time. Before my time. But I saw it a lot. My grandma and grandpa talked about it a lot. So, you know, girls would come out in roller skates, take your order, skate back. They'd bring your food out. You would just sit in your car and eat. And that was like the big novelty because people were excited about getting cars. People were excited about driving. You know, at that time, I mean, freeways were still being built and, you know, being independent was still a thing and the lure of the road. And so cars were everything. And so that was how that came about. So yeah, we drove up, we pulled in every little spot, had a little menu and there was a little speaker and you just told them what you wanted, and then they would bring it out, and it was kind of, kind of cool. You just sat in your car and eat, and then you get to go, and yeah, kind of nice, kind of nice. Fun. It was definitely fun. I would go there again. I mean, I wouldn't go 50 miles out of my way, but I would go there again <laughs> if we passed one. So that was pretty fun. So anyway, that's Fast Food Corner for the, the moment. And also, before we <laughs> before we wrap up uh, this segment and for listeners the show, uh, I did want to give you uh, thanks and props for being able to post that second show, because I was wondering how you were going to manage it. I didn't know where you were or what was going on. And like that show popped up out of nowhere and I'm like, damn, homeboy is on it. Like he totally posted <laughs> that thing. So I didn't know the story of you downloading the app and being at Steak and Shake and driving or whatever. But good job, man. Like you totally got that. And I know that I know for sure the listeners appreciate it. We will get to that when we get to the show. But uh, kudos to you. Well, thank you. I kind of had it pre-planned in my head on how to do it. And luckily, editing those shows wasn't very difficult because it was just one audio track per person. And it was kind of didn't really have to do a lot to edit them but yeah i just uploaded them both to soundcloud at the same time made one private and then down the road like literally down the road in alabama um literally just, down uh, the road yeah <laughs> i just unlocked one tweeted it and i was i kind of had a moment of panic because i drove 100 percent of the time except for levi driving us home from the bar whenever we were in and around atlanta and i was like driving back and i was like god i can't like post the show while i'm driving on the highway going 80 miles an hour so what am i going to do and then whenever we stopped to get food i was like this is the perfect opportunity and so i you know posted it then but um, but there yeah you're you're welcome listeners you're welcome uh, you know whatever just me going to atlanta and back and still finding magical time to post a show and all that stuff don't want to toot my own horn too much but i, <laughs> I, I got you all covered <laughs> That's when you know that podcasting is truly comes from the heart. <laughs> All right, let's roll, wrap it up. We got a shitload of stuff to talk about. Hopefully, I mean, I know the listeners have heard it by this point. Hopefully they enjoyed the show. But we need to actually create the show. Let's get going. Let's talk about some games. 